Hey, we're about to interview Ayla. We had some technical difficulties getting started, so the quality isn't the best. And also, the interview is a little bit rushed because we lost time due to the tech. But whatever. Uh, we got her on. It's great. Listen to the show. Thanks. Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Stephen Zuber. I'm Jay Sticky. And we have a guest with us today. Hi, I am Ayla. Hello, Ayla. Uh, I'm assuming a lot of our audience already knows about Ayla, but uh, I guess I'll do a quick rundown. Uh, gosh, there's a lot. The <laughs> I first became familiar with Ayla from the um, post about <laughs> hearing about the person who took so much LSD, she almost um, lost her ego entirely and permanently. Is that correct to say? Long term, but yeah, something like that. Okay. That was also my first introduction. And uh, <laughs> since then, uh, Ayla's got a interesting blog, is one of the best Twitter feeds, in my opinion, with lots of cool polls that uh, that just have interesting insights in them. Um, also, I believe in some some media outlet now, I don't remember which one, you are known as the person who co is trying to completely rewrite her gut biome. <laughs> <laughs> By eating poop? Uh, yeah. Yes. But, you know, we all got to get famous <laughs> for something. <laughs> I'm assuming you're doing fecal transplants, not literally eating poop. Correct me if I'm wrong. Well, though. I was. I, mean, I put the poop in the pills, so I didn't actually taste it, but mm. I did eat it. That's bold. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, see, there's so many things we could talk about. It sucks that it's only one episode. Maybe maybe we can convince her to come back some other time. <laughs> yeah, with, with all the technical difficulties I'm having, I'm sure she's eager to. <laughs> and also recently uh, well-known for being one of the most amazingly successful OnlyFans uh, people. I guess call them people workers what do you i mean i think they're people <laughs> well sometimes like people like on the whole disagree. platform yeah yeah oh wow that's awesome like in the top 0.1 percent or something damn 0.01 percent yeah whatever it's it, my highest was 0.03 percent nice yeah that's that's impressive that's wild yeah good shit but uh for our purposes good shit was that a pun with the gut biome thing. No! <laughs> I hate puns. Damn you, Stephen. There's infinite puns around this. Yes. I warn you. Okay. Uh, but uh, for our purposes, what we like most about Ayla is that she is a fellow rationalist. And uh, that, that, you know, finding someone else who thinks the same way you think and has lots of cool, interesting thoughts is always a great thing. Especially when they're a fun celebrity. And especially when they've written an interesting post that uh, I personally thought was like a good thing for us to cover for the community in general and i wanted to ask you on about that so you said yes and we are going to be talking about frame control yes yes frame control is there before we continue is there things that i glossed over or skipped that you would like to say oh no you're great so far i would point out just that if anyone wants to and we'll put links obviously and everything too but um is most of your writing at knowingless.com Yes. Perfect. That's where I read frame control and where people can go find other stuff too. So, come to think of it, where does the what does the term knowing less mean? Where does it come from? Uh, I don't actually remember how I thought it up, but uh, I like sort of the the feeling behind it, which is like the goal is to to sort of dissolve what you know, or to question what you know, or to to because like sometimes like when you know a thing, it can be a block in the way of learning more. Yeah, so okay. sort I of. I like the sentiment. The is, I forget if that's how the phrase goes, but sort of the more you learn, the less you know, or the the more you realize you don't know. Yeah. Tie into it as well. Cool. All right. Well, we have an hour, so let's jump into this thing. Uh, frame control, like, I guess the first question is, what what is frame control? Because you start off saying pretty early on that it's like, it's inherently illegible. So how would you characterize what this frame control thing is? <laughs> Dude. Okay, that's going to be a hard interview. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, like, it seems like kind of dangerous to have a concept that like you can't uh, give a very succinct definition for, which I totally agree. I think it is dangerous. Um, but I think there's something where there's like a, a type of manipulation that seems to happen to people. Uh, not very often. I don't think it's super common, but it's of a specific type that seems to have like a very specific kind of result in it, which is sort of um, like a denial of your own reality. Um, which you see this type of thing in like abusive relationships or cults for a lot of it. Um, and so whatever the thing is that causes this thing, it seems to be like a, a similar pattern of behavior and like ways of engaging with the person that like results in this sort of denying your own reality. And um, that's sort of the thing I'm trying to point at with the term frame control. I disagree that it's not very common. I see this a lot. Yeah, it's, this is a great point um, because like it depends on how you how you want to draw the boundaries around this concept here. Like in a sense, we're doing this to each other all the time. It's a spectrum, and uh, so there's there's a thing I do want to point out though that the thing I'm trying to say with frame control is that it is inherently legible. Like there's a lot of legible attempts to control people's frames, um, such as like insulting people or debating or or like making like clear uh, ploys uh, in various ways, and and the, that's sort of not what I mean by frame control because it's like a like a, a viewable sort of battle for your mind and and so you can touch it and look at it it's like sort of object to you it, like it's not a thing happening behind your brain it's a thing happening in front of your eyes um and i think that that's like this the super super common version that i don't, I don't really call frame control i mean although you could my term is not a great term um but but you're right in that like there's versions of this that happen everywhere i think that the version that i'm trying to outline in the blog post um is not as common as the uh the super common versions. Although I would like to hear your, your opinion if I'm missing um, uh, something about it. Uh, well, I have two questions, I guess, before that. Um, one would be whether you think that this is different from gaslighting, um, more or less encompassing, like, or, or by like more wide or more narrow. And uh, also, is the, the one that you're trying to describe here the pathological version? Oh, actually, before we do either of those, and let's restate them in just a second. Um, I don't think we defined what a frame is. Um, <laughs> yeah, we should define terms. Let's do that. I, I believe in your post you said a frame is basically the set of all assumptions you hold about the world around you. Uh, is that, like, is how 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 big is a frame? Yeah. I, 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 like, deliberately didn't go into a lot of depth defining it because I think it's a really hard thing to define. But uh, sure, maybe just sort of the reality you're in, you know, the expectations you have, the beliefs you hold. That... But like, it's partly really hard to define because like a lot of the beliefs we hold are not sailing it to us. So just saying that the beliefs you hold sort of feels um, maybe trivial in a way, and I and I sort of mean it. That's why I'm trying to maybe the words like reality you're in feels a little bit more closer. So that includes things like how you expect humans just to behave in general, and what mm -hmm. what physics is like, what their anticipated experiences. Yeah, I think so. Okay. If you want to get all dragony. Um... And gaslighting, I believe, is defined pretty simply as causing someone to uh, a manipulative tactic that you can use to cause someone to question their sanity or their reality. The word comes from was it was, was it a book or a short story? It was a play. It's a movie. A play or a movie. Oh. Maybe it was a movie made out of a play. But anyway, uh, the husband like caused his wife to go crazy by continually turning down the lamps in the house and saying they are no less bright when she would ask about it yeah this i would consider this maybe like a subset or something 
like like the heart of frame control feels something like the thing like taking over control of your reality in some way and i would definitely consider that to be like one example of doing that so frame control isn't necessarily trying to make you feel like you're insane not necessarily i i don't think i mean i just assume that there's probably lots of versions where like the goal is not to make you feel as though you are insane uh, you might be able to like feel you are sane as long as you are like aligned with the person who is friend controlling you. And this happens so slowly and subtly that you're just always like, oh, yeah, I'm just totally sane um, uh, as long as I'm in agreement. Mm. It's a subtle difference. I think I could get what you're trying to say. Like, yeah, gaslighting is just so like you can devalue another person's opinions or dismiss them. And it seems like frame control is more so you can actually control a person's actions. Uh, maybe they're what would you call it, like, respect for a, a person, the, another person's beliefs to the point where they'll just devalue their own or not even know that they have their own reality, just whatever this person says is true. Yeah, well, gaslighting just feels like a subset. Like, if you are continually being like, what well, your reality is, no, that's that's incorrect. Um, that seems gaslighting and also frame control. But there's some things that are I would consider symptoms of frame control that are not gaslighting. Like, if uh, someone repeatedly fails to validate you in like very specific contexts um that i wouldn't call that gaslighting but that still i think is a, a symptom of frame control yeah and it's a, a way of manipulating you um so you have um a number of examples of people who well he says whenever someone engages with you they're always trying to affect your frame in some way and like people are always affecting each other other's frames and you had I, I believe you just mentioned this too like examples of like debate and recommendation and pressure uh, but none of those are what you mean by frame control because, uh, let's see, even though they can be manipulative or, or abusive, they're broadcast clearly. So frame control always has an aspect of of subterfuge, of being sneaky about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's there's like a way frame control is sort of like generalizable to culture if you want to get in, you're in that whole mess. And like the way culture works is sort of you don't, ever, you don't notice that the culture formed around you. It's not like you're consciously like, oh, in this culture, you know, marriage is normal, right? It's just you grow up in it. Um, and so it's sort of analogously, like in frame control, it's not like it's not like you step into the frame and you're like, okay, this is clearly a different way of looking at the world that is not mine. Um, and I'm like holding on to that. It's, it's very much a thing that like you don't notice happened until after the fact. Okay. So you start out giving some examples of like how frame control can be done in a surreptitious way. Um, I'm not sure... I'm not sure these first two examples are really that surreptitious. The first one was high-risk moves that serve to alienate like 98% of the people but draw on the other 2%. And the the example you gave, which immediately caught my attention because of the society, the, the you know subgroup of society we live in, is my organization is going to save the world. Um, <laughs> that that doesn't seem terribly surreptitious. Well, it's not, it's not, so if you believe that, like if you are of the kind of person where you're like, I think it's possible that, like to say that I think we could save the world is, you know, a, a real claim, which sometimes it is. I'm not saying that this is inaccurate here. Um, but like if you are the kind of person to whom that appeals, like it doesn't feel uh, like I think I think it, this sort of does qualify as surreptitious because uh, this is like falling into sort of what, like an empty spot in your value network or something. Um, but but in general, when it comes to like the surreptitiousness of it, like if it works on you, it's generally not. It's generally pretty, uh, pretty subtle. As someone who's been in the startup world, like it strikes me that there's a difference between uh, actual like charitable organization that 
whose goal it is to save the world by doing X, Y, and Z versus, you know, we had like a mobile games app that planted trees and the CEO would like start our meetings and be like, we're going to save the world. We're saving the world, you guys, you know, like toasting to the, it's just like bluster, but, uh, charismatic people can pull you in like that. Definitely. And like, I think it is really common in the startup world and business in general and in other places where it, it makes no sense to anyone that, like, oh, this mobile game is going to save the world unless you're, like, drinking the Kool-Aid. Cults also are a good example of this, or maybe the perfect example, because this all strikes me as the kinds of behaviors that, like, uh, sociopathic cult leaders would use. I, I do think it's very much a cult kind of thing, and since since rationalists have been called cult-like a number of times, I think that... um it's good to have a tool for figuring out when something actually is cult-like and avoiding it. It definitely and, is. Yeah, and that's why I think this is one of the reasons this is a good thing to cover, because uh, if you get called a cult often enough, then eventually you start not looking for the signs of an actual cult, because you're like, oh, okay, someone's just calling it a cult again, and uh, and it's not. It's boy who cried wolf kind of problem. So <laughs> we should look out for things that actually are kind of uh, insidious and cult-like. Yeah, this seems true. As far as it's gone, I feel like rationalists are actually pretty good at it, <laughs> at, at not doing culty stuff, like despite the the, the numerous uh, cult adjacent or rationalist adjacent cults that have popped up. Yeah. Uh, I still think that rationalists have a pretty solid foundation. The, the fact that we're so concerned about becoming a cult is a very uncult like behavior. <laughs> yeah. I think it also like gives us some antibodies that the general populace doesn't have. I, I've seen people get sucked into various, you know, movements and organizations which are kind of cult like, but which they don't realize where any of us would be like, hey now wait a minute because mm. we, we have so many times been uh been exposed to uh you know 'cause we're watching out for it and we know like the red flags. Yeah. Or the majority of us anyway. Like Right. Uh, you do say that frame control is most often likely to happen to vulnerable people, uh, such as younger or alienated for family or not having a good social group or weird and neuroatypical, um, which is all things that are more common in the rationalist community than the rest of the world. Is frame control a something that can happen to someone who's not like particularly vulnerable to it? Well, I think it's context, right? Like, I, th I, I think it's very difficult to do frame control in a dangerous way without having some control, like some practical impact on the person's life. Like, you know, being a boss or something or, you know, having like, say, in the social sphere where you could potentially turn a reputation against them. Like, it's it's very difficult to have any sort of teeth behind the frame control that's happening. Um if, if you don't have that. And so when you do have that over somebody, it sort of necessitates that they are kind of vulnerable to you in some way. And the more vulnerable they are to you, the easier it is to, to pull that frame control off. Um, so I think it's like possible for somebody to be vulnerable to frame control without being particularly vulnerable, but they'd have to have at least like some sort of weak spot for it to make, to make it really dangerous like to that person specifically. I've been doing a lot of research into narcissistic abuse, um, and just generally like patterns of toxic abuse, p abusive people. So like I mentioned, sociopaths, psychopaths, uh, people with personality disorders and who lack empathy. Um, and it seems like people who suffer from narcissistic abuse don't, I mean, the, the majority of them are people who maybe had uh, abusive parents and are more vulnerable or yeah, are, are shy, uh, neuroatypical, but there's also people that you would never expect like powerful female CEOs who have like solid friend groups and values can get charmed into it. And it seems like the the thing that makes you 
the the one thing that like makes you vulnerable regardless of what else you have going on is just not knowing the the red flags or these patterns of behavior because like the people who are like this are really insidious i mean in particular sociopaths and psychopaths because they don't have remorse and they're really intelligent so they can completely fake being the type of person who is kind and has empathy and cares about you and the red flags can be so subtle sometimes too but yeah there's a way in which um one of the best antidotes for you know mild versions of this sort of thing is like that there's a trope of um like a woman is like dating an abusive boyfriend but she like loves him and keeps going back to him um and he like sort of keeps her away from her friends or something isolation Um, and one of the best things to say to her is that like you could find somebody who's not like that or like this is not normal sort of being like the reality that you're inhabiting with this person is, is very different from the reality outside of this. Mm. Um, instead of saying like, he's bad, you should say like, uh, you could easily find somebody who's not bad or like this, you have an abnormally bad person compared to the market outside. And, and so I think that like, when we're talking about very powerful people who are vulnerable to frame control, like I, I, I find it difficult to imagine this being like really like the frame control being really successful as long as they have access to people who are able to tell them, Hey, that thing that person is doing is abnormal. Yeah. Um, and, so if the frame controller manages, can manage to get around that to can manage to perform a series of actions that isn't going to catch the eye of somebody else to be like, Hey, that's abnormal. Um, then it's much more successful, which is why frame control is so not salient. Like all the things that are done are very difficult to put a finger on and to be like, oh, that that specific thing, that's like a weird, bad thing. Like and you should definitely get out because then people have like a, a conscious, a conscious like uh, thing to grab onto to swing out into the the other world. Yeah, there's another insidious thing uh, in abusive relationships. You mentioned isolation uh, mm-hmm. either. Yeah, you can just sort of slowly, you know oh, I don't like your sister. She's always like criticizing me. I don't want to, you know, hang out with your family. Like slowly over time, you just draw the person away from their own social support and they're, they don't get any reality checks. And you can start to replace those people with, they call them flying monkeys and like narcissistic terminology where there's other people you're frame controlling uh, that you'll launch at the person or just like surround them with so that like everyone's like oh christopher is so great you know he's such a kind parent he's such a good boss like why would you want to leave christopher i you would you're so lucky to have someone like him i wish i had and it's just yeah it could get so creepy but uh you're absolutely right that like having the people that can give you reality checks is really like what can drag you out of it that is they know it too the the frame controllers and that's why they do try to like pick out the people that are that start to get wise you do say that good frame controllers put a lot of effort into avoiding the appearance of control how how do they do that oh Oh, like uh like there's um like things that nice people say like if you are if you want to sort of replicate being a person that people like who you know isn't controlling you at all there's like very salient things you can say like oh it's totally your decision you know you can see it, but you can imagine ways where it's possible to say concrete things like it's totally your decision while also uh, like framing the situation such that there's a lot of pressure to not make one of the decisions. So th- there's a lot of the ways that their explicit statements will be sort of at odds at the way that you feel with them. Like you might be with them and, and 
sort of a part of your brain will cut off things that are an option. Like you're not actually allowed to feel this way or you're not actually allowed to talk to this person. Um, and this is, will sort of be a little bit subconscious typically. Well, whereas the person, the frame controller will be explicitly saying things like you are allowed to talk to this person or you are allowed to feel this way. And so that, that way they're avoiding the uh, appearance of frame control while simultaneously uh, performing lots of other very small actions. Um, and the very small actions, I, I tried to give like examples in the post, um, but it's hard because it's so specific and contextual to the person. That almost sounds like that's characterized or uh, caricaturized rather, like in every like 90s sitcom marriage where it's like, oh yeah, of course you can go do that. That's fine. And like fine is like this magic word where it's actually not fine. But <laughs> yeah. it's it's the same noise that someone who would make or someone would make if they were actually saying, no, that is fine. Do whatever you'd like. Um, it context is everything, right? I liked the the line that I like. I mean, one that that summarized this the the ineligibility of this really well. I liked was um, when the knife that wounds you is invisible. You might doubt that you're bleeding at all. Like that's a good line. If, if you go off and you tell somebody, yeah, no, they said it was fine. I did this, but I feel like it's not. Like that that's the that's the insidious thing about it, right? It it makes you sound like you're crazy. But they all stack up in such a way, right? It's right, exactly. So if you feel, if you get the feelings that like there are people that you shouldn't talk to, it would be bad to talk to them. You can't figure out why, but you just have this like aversive feeling to it, or aversive feeling to saying certain things. I'm those are like red flag kind of warning signs. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, definitely red yes. flag. If the, if the way that you feel is is sort of like at odds with what is being explicitly said that's a great red flag and obviously there's not all the time that the, this is from frame control like things are very complicated i don't mean to be like absolute but it is it is i would say like if i were doing a score quiz that would be like a point in that direction okay is i guess i guess that kind of addresses what i was about to ask next but i was going to say like is that how different is that from feelings like oh i shouldn't say the n-word ever or you know other <laughs> things that i can't say because there are some things that are like that that are part of frames, but I don't know, is that is that frame control to have these things that you can't say in, ever or in areas or around people? No, it seems like that's just context. Like, if, if you uh, endorse not wanting to say the N-word or if you like have a partner who says, hey, I have trauma around uh american cheese because my dad abused me by making me eat lots of american cheese i'm just coming up with a funny example because this is dark mm. <laughs> and and you care about your partner's well-being then you would like internally endorse the oh oh i don't want to upset my partner i'm not gonna you know i'll try to do this but when it feels like you're being manipulated uh when you don't endorse it internally like you can't hang out with greg anymore because uh, i just i just don't like the way he eats you know he's always making lots of mouth sounds and he just shoes are dirty like he's just i think he's just a bad person i just i just get a bad vibe off him and i i think you shouldn't hang out with him anymore and you're like i think greg's great but okay <laughs> and like that kind of thing keeps happening because this is a pattern in these kinds of relationships it's not going to be just one thing some like normal healthy people might have one thing or, or two things that are just sort of irrational but like you're like oh i love you so you know i'll do i can put up with these things but when it's like your whole life is being controlled by this person's preferences. So it taps into the sort of normal social shibboleths or not shibboleths, but social um, aversive things and then just like exploits them and dials them up more than they should mm. be. Would you say it's possible for society to frame control? Like, cause you mentioned, you know, like the N word's a pretty, pretty hot example, but like for most people at their place of work, you stick to like PG 13 language. Like maybe the word shit is okay, but fuck isn't. Mm -hmm. Um, 
or maybe you know one fuck per shift um, <laughs> but uh, not not every other word so it but that seems like that would be too broadly defining this thing that's already kind of uh i think society can definitely frame control you like they're we've you know talked about this before on this podcast but i think they're just objectively bad cultures uh that you know let's use like toxic masculinity as an example um i've seen as like working and growing up at like my mom's preschool some parents that would like hit their child for like being a boy and picking up a barbie doll just picking one up like what are you girl you know what are you crying about uh tends to you know lead to these people that are emotionally stunted and feel like I have to be a tough guy. I can't show emotions. I can't. Yeah, and the the only like appropriate <laughs> emotion for a man to feel is anger. Mm-hmm. And I, and then they end up like becoming violent <laughs> a lot of the time, uh, depressed, you know, it's, and it's a whole culture that you, there are whole cultures you grow up in where that's the only um, correct way to be a man. So, I think that's abusive. I, I agree. But I think like frame, frame controllers are people who are trying to twist this beyond just society to their own ends i don't know is this i mean that kind of is though like we can ask the authoritative expert (laughs) i feel kind of unclear i don't i don't have a really good grasp on like the boundary between society and you know a toxic single frame controller um but there's like one sort of frame i'm thinking about which is like sort of there's two kinds of trauma and one of them is sort of the inherent trauma of like if you just like grow up and die in a civilization that you know punishes men when they cry for example and then there's the trauma of switching, um, like the trauma of switching from one culture that it, where it normalizes a lot of bad things to where um, it's like, wow, I can't believe you had to go through all those bad things. Um, like this is, for oh, example, you know you what I went that. through when I was very religious and then I stopped being religious. And then people were like, oh, my God, I can't believe your childhood. Whereas when I was a child, I was, it was normal. Like, like when I was a child, I was suffering in one way, which is, you know, I was actually going through things that sort of caused me to repress what I would have normally felt. Um, but I was not suffering in a way where I was in a meaning making system that told me that sort of thing was bad. And so with frame control, I think it does sort of both, um, frame control, like it, 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 it causes you to do self-denial in sort of a way that's very common with culture. Um, but it also is such a, typically it's a very small pocket. Like it's either a mini cult or like it isolates you from your friends or something. So, and I think that like really emphasizes the possibility for like the transfer between, to, to be very painful, sort of like leaving a religion, for example. And so it, it hits both. It hits both the uh, the two types of trauma, the inherent trauma and the like, you're in a pinpoint in a, in a larger pool trauma and the transfer is really awful. Yeah, the second thing you were talking about, uh, I relate to really strongly. Um, my family of origin, like they, they did actually do like isolation. For example, I was like made to friend to break up with some friends that they consider to be higher socioeconomic class. Or if they were just wow. Jewish, I, my best friend was Jewish and they made me stop being friends with her. Her parents were dentists and they had a nice house and my, my parents saw it and got jealous, I guess, or just like, you can't oh hang God. out with her. So, uh, but like, I was sort of love bombed and all the typical, you know, like abusive relationship stuff. Um, when I left my family of origin and moved to Denver, it I, I went through like a major depressive period realizing, looking back that, because I had like talked myself into thinking I had a normal, healthy, good childhood, but going back and being able to compare it and reframe it, it's like, now I have to deal with having had a a shitty childhood. Like, it all, um, you you do cope by lying to yourself and containing all the stuff that you know. A lot of people 
in the cult seem happy, just as you're saying. Like people who are actively being friend controlled, like there's a legitimately a way in which they are having a good time. After I left, uh, I also like called my sisters and sort of asked that, and they'd gotten out like sooner than I had. Uh, so they were kind of just like, yeah, like you didn't notice. Mom's always been mm-hmm. like that. Remember that one time? And it was like just shocking because before I remember like us being kids and growing up and it was sort of like we all had to be in agreement that we were all happy and we were having a good childhood. <laughs> so you say a thing about frame control here, which I don't know if it's I don't want to say um, controversial because I'm not sure this has been around long enough to be controversial yet, but it's definitely incendiary. It's, you say that uh, when dealing with frame controlling, you can't look at intent when diagnosing frame control. As in, what do they mean to do should be held separate from what are the effects of what they're doing. Uh, and you say you realize that this is a problem, but this is also an important thing to do. Can you say why? And what are your worries about introducing this? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's obviously like a kind of a terrible thing to introduce. Like, I'm basically no other area. Am I like, we should throw out intent. Like, throwing out intent is... Uh, often a very toxic behavior and it's also also often a thing that um a symptom of frame control that people can do too like oh your intent doesn't matter the effects of it like you can see this 100 you know wokey audiology stuff um but it's also like like I, I remember i've just i've seen it in like multiple times where people are in really toxic situations and they keep going back to like what does the frame controller intend to do and always the answer to this is like something nice or humanizing because like if you really understand them deeply like you know why they are this way they had a bad childhood and you're like oh man like i just gotta stick around and help them right because like their intents are good and once you decide that somebody has good intent you can tolerate a huge amount of pain from them because like you're looking past it and so this can really cause you to just sort of uh like justify almost any sort of hardship and I think that's super dangerous. So if you're trying to like evaluate if like something is going on to control your reality, you just have to throw that out because it's going to just muddy the waters. Yeah. I think that kind of goes both ways where like I uh, just got out of a toxic relationship where I actually had the like pretty early on we had this argument that was the same argument that we had a million times, but it would be like I said something innocuous. They interpreted it as harmful in some way. Nobody else who had heard this would have interpreted it that way. Like, I couldn't bring other people in, though, that they would say, it doesn't matter what you meant. It matters how it made me feel. Or and, But, like, if you're someone who is going out of your way to interpret everything as having negative intent, like, there's no way you can win at that. But also, yeah, mm-hmm. like, I was going around defending this person to others when I was in the relationship because I was in denial about how bad it was. And anyone who would say, like, wow, that looks... Well, I, I wouldn't put up with being treated like that. And think, I'd be like, oh, you just don't understand, though. It's because of X, Y, and Z. And uh, yeah, <laughs> dude, the thing that was, is, sorry, go on. The question about intent being like, I understand having to throw it out. I'm, I'm just curious. Do you think the majority of frame controllers know that they are frame controlling and want to do that? Or do they honestly have like, do they think that they have your best um, interests at heart? And so even their intention actually really is good, despite the fact that they're doing evil things and, you know, controlling your reality and your life. I, mean, I suspect it's closer to the latter, but often we aren't aware of our own intentions a lot. Like I've, I know that I've hurt people before and be, when I was acting out of fear and which is like a reasonable thing to act out of, but it, I mean, it was still pretty damaging to the people around me. Um, and wait, I was, <laughs> I totally lost my train of thought. Hmm. 
uh, you said, what would you say again? That I, even though their intent doesn't matter, do you think their actual intent is to frame control or is their intent to help and and they're just oh, yeah, evil? Oh, probably their intent is to help. Yeah. Or, or it's acting out of fear or something or self-preservation or whatever. Like, I, I suspect from the perspective of a frame controller, they just really have a very strong reality that has to be true in order for them to feel safe and they can't handle any disruptions towards it and they believe in it so strongly that when they run into somebody else, like there's not an option to sort of like let their own reality get soft and like absorb someone else's. They have to take control of the other person's in order to maintain that control that they need. Uh, this behavior is in like, and it's part of just the ideology of these disorders, um, narcissists and borderlines. Part of the, the diagnosis is like, they don't know they're doing it or like they believe when they, when they tell you something that seems like it's outright manipulation to like a normal person, they they actually believe that. And yeah, mm. you mentioned fear. Usually with borderline, it's fear, it's insecurity or anger with narcissism. Sociopaths and psychopaths, though, they know they're doing it. That's the scary thing about them. They're remorseless and they're scheming. Stephen, we were just talking, I think, last week about how sometimes people have been damaged and it's not their fault the way they are, but you still have to remove them from your life mm -hmm. because they're just going to destroy it, even it, if it's not necessarily their fault. Having a sad backstory isn't an excuse for harming others. It's sad, Amen. but yeah. Yeah, I think that's just kind of where like the intent thing might come into... So I think that you, you caveat that really well in the post where um, you're like... I think you said something along the lines of like, I realize this goes counter to every like good lesson about engaging with people charitably or something. And I think that... Yeah, I think she summarized it well, too. It's like, you know, look, yes, you've got a backstory that makes your, your behavior perfectly internally, if not justifiable, at least consistent. And, like, I get it, and that sucks, but you're also ruining my life, so I'm going to block <laughs> your number, right? Yeah. Like, And it, it doesn't mean you're—so I think the intent part comes in. It's like you're not, like, a quote-unquote bad person because you're, you're not trying to be mean or whatever, but the fact is you are, and so—or the fact is you are being mean, actually, so I need to just— for my own safety, get away from you, right? Yeah. 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 You're not a bad person, but your behaviors and words and actions harm others around you. It's It may not be your fault, but... You do say that the first defensive frame controller uses is the empathy you hold for them, which mm. kind of sucks because it means the more empathic someone is, the more likely they are to uh, have trouble getting away from these sorts of people. Yeah. I think this is partially why rational, like at least the rational adjacent community seems to be so susceptible. Like... In my opinion, it's, it's sort of a sign of goodness in a way. Um, like, rationalists are super open-minded and, like, really, really charitable and ready to, like, commit 100% to really getting your strange reality. And this is admirable, and I think we need more of it in society. And also, it's, like, very vulnerable to this sort of frame control. I think yeah. we need more of it in society, but also more, uh, more you know, teaching people the red flags and teaching people how to have boundaries i was just talking about that before we were recording but um i love it when the frame controller is like you know well these are my boundaries why are you pushing my boundaries like they just turn <laughs> that against you i have a boundary against you having boundaries yeah right <laughs> <laughs> i actually got that from someone no yeah oh, no. someone you know i'll tell you later i don't okay. want to name uh, names <laughs> it's, it's also confusing too like when you're in it you're like you often like vacillate between, you know, oh wait, am I, am I like, actually being mean to this person? Am I being reasonable? And you're like, wait, but no, but I feel bad. And then there's this, this way the the fuzzy reality thing kicks in. You're like, fuck, I like, I don't know 
how to make sense of this. Like, I don't know if I'm being an asshole or if they're being an asshole. And it's, it's like scrambling for like some sort of coherent narrative. And yeah. that's one of the red flags. That actually, mm -hmm. that brings me into something I wanted to talk about was like, I, I'm reading through this entire post and I'm, I'm, I don't want to presume, but people have told me that I'm an okay person. <laughs> and so like, I'm, I'm reading this and I'm like, shit, am I, am I, do I do this? You know, like if I, um, don't affirm quickly enough at someone's recommendation for like a dinner idea, am I frame controlling or, you know, like, so I'm, I'm wondering, like, it seems like it's possible for somebody who might be a, a decent person to like be paralyzed that they might be frame controlling people. Um, and I, I know that, I mean, well, I guess I, I throw that random thought out there and I don't know if there's anything to pick up there or not, but, um, you know, if, if you're worried that you're doing this, you know, is that like an antidote that, or like a, an indication that you might not be, or, you know, could you just be rationalizing that away? This seems like yeah. a tough one. That's my guess is that if you're worried about it, you probably aren't. But then of course, frame controllers would then probably subconsciously start worrying about it to be <laughs> evidence. Right. Mm. I, for one, I think that like the kind of frame control I'm referring to is pretty rare. I, I think like the level that is dangerous enough to burn it with fire um, is not something I've only encountered maybe like seven times in my life. Um, so, so I like it's like just based on priors. I think it's pretty unlikely. I, I wonder but, about bubble effects because I've encountered the really toxic kind all the time. Oh. But then again, but I'm from I'm from New true. Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Seven times in a lifetime seems like a lot to me. I've run into it maybe twice. I, I know there's but you're from Denver. <laughs> yeah, well, there's also a couple times where I like got a a you know I got at first I was close to someone and then after a while I was like oh oh yeah no I'm I'm stepping away from this so I don't know. And you have boundaries. Uh, I'm a recovering-ish, toxic, or uh, pathological people-pleaser, rescuer, caretaker, yeah. and that's how, what I was taught growing up, so... Dude, the people that, that take advantage of rescuers just glom on, because they know, they can tell, they see, they're like, oh, here's someone that I can suck all their energy out of, because they want to help me so much. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I, I, I do kind of regret in the post, like, not making it being able to make it more clear. I think that's like beyond my scope of skill. And maybe if I think for more years or if other people are better at formulating this, they can make it more clear. But it, it does seem like it's like it's, the whole post is like, oh, very subtle things. You can't put a finger on. You don't really know it. It's just like the way that you feel. And it seems like really well primed to make like normal people be like, fuck, am I doing this? And to be fair, like probably we're doing some degree of frame control of other people all the time. Um, but like not not the frame control in the sense that I'm trying to talk about in this post. Um, like, in, if I had to, like, try and name the core of it, it would be something like controlling another person's reality. And is how much are people allowed to have their own realities around you? Are they allowed to fully disagree about things you super value in ways that are okay? Like, is are, is, are they aligned? Like, are they able to feel, like, disagreement? And also you verbalize that disagreement as, like, being okay. Like, are all of the things sort of in place? Are there any strange, um, like, incongruencies are probably maybe one test I could throw out there but I, I do agree that it's not a very good um result of that blog post and i am sad that i wasn't able to mitigate it more i like that you did it because this kind of reminds me of some of scott alexander's posts where he's just sort of throwing out related ideas and trying to form a model but with the feedback is able to like make it okay follow-up post here's more because you're, you're you're exploring a concept that's not fully formed yet but it's pointing at something and uh mm -hmm. when you're talking about a test uh I have two in mind. <laughs> I have um, kind of litmus tests that I 
used. One I heard from a YouTube video. It's great for the kind of person you're talking about specifically who has zero tolerance of other people having their own reality. Um, if you have someone come up to you, you know, and say, you know, you're, you're always um, making fun of me and you, you don't respect me, blah, 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 and you know that that's not true, uh, reply with, you're entitled to your own uh, mistaken reality. Oh, damn. And they will become enraged. And I've used it, and it absolutely makes them freak out. <laughs> like mm. if it's this kind of person, uh, I'd be kind of fair, if... I would be pissed if somebody said that to me. That, that's exactly what I was going to say. I'd be offended <laughs> like, if someone told me that. Same mistake, and it's just <laughs> or I... uh, your distorted view of reality. I mean, so like this is, and I think you did a good job of talking about it in this conversation. And it, it was towards the end of the post, and I wish it was closer to the top because I was kind of like worried about it the whole time that like this. And I think that this is like a remarkably important thing to shine a light on because it's, you know, you need to torture an analogy like a special, you know, UV light to even see this thing. Right. Um, but it, it's in a way like crafting like the perfect silver bullet weapon for any uncharitable arguer to whip out whatever they want. Like, oh, you're just frame controlling mm -hmm. this conversation or whatever. And I think you've got you've done a good job explaining that. No, this is not the kind of thing you can just throw out in the context of one conversation, having met one person. Um and what else was I just replying to the, uh, oh, the, if someone, you're entitled to your own distorted view of reality. That sounds like the kind of thing someone would say that would bug me too. Um, but no one would ever say it to you. Like, or if they did and you know that, like the, the thing is, um, if you're being chronically gaslit by someone, you can't call them out on it. Like the types of personalities, particularly narcissistic, uh, they're, you're never going to win an argument with them about the reality, and they actually like getting into it. They like winning fights and feeling superior, so you the only thing you can do is not engage. There's actually a technique called gray rock, which yeah. is the other one I was going to bring up, which is that you just be, you answer questions very simply. You don't engage with any of their provocations. You get, like, Again, saying things like, you know, well, you're entitled to your view of your reality, and I'm, I'm entitled to mine. Or like, I'm not going to get into that. Or... You know, well, you know, I, I disagree, but I, I I see that you feel sad about that, and I'm sorry that that's how you feel, but uh, I disagree. And just you be as boring as possible in their presence until they get bored and find another target. That's the only way you can win a win in scare quotes against someone with this type of personality. Hmm. And there's always this temptation to call them out because if someone's gaslighting you, especially if they're trying to tell you that you're a terrible person. And you know you're not, and nobody else thinks you're a terrible. Like if anyone said, like, "Oh my God, Steven's so toxic. He's like always gaslighting and uh, uh, manipulating," and what I'd be like, that completely does not match with my, you know, experiences of Steven. Anyone else who knows Steven, like, I, I would be like, okay, I think this person's actually probably the abuser. Because uh, another thing we were talking about before the podcast. Sorry, I'm excited to talk about this because I just went through it. Um, is projection as another technique where say like someone with borderline feels really angry but they don't have any internal like ability to self-regulate or tolerate distress so a thing they often will do is they'll go pick a fight with like usually their significant other or a family member like hey like janine you look so angry right now you, you've been looking at me angrily all morning and I'm, I'm starting to get really upset with you what like and and then they need to get in a fight with you and win the fight about it and that's how they deal with their own internal anger or they'll project any bad thing that they feel or uh, or have done on other people around them. And it's another form of, you know, gaslighting or frame control because they're trying to say that, like, I don't, you know, I don't feel that way you do. And I, I didn't do that. In fact, you do that. 
and think... it's really insidious because if you aren't that kind of person you know if you are someone with empathy and like who cares about being a good person you can start to disbelieve your own reality and be like oh no maybe i am that kind of person i think i, had to, I remember how i was going to tie this back into a question for, for ayla was like um so like part of the thing about uh your own reality um if someone like charged you with and not necessarily you directly Ayla, but like if if in this hypothetical someone says you know i think you're frame controlling this what what possible rebuttal can one have um Cause... i'm not sure i would probably ask about like like the more concrete feelings be like how do you how do you feel right now i would check in with them like because i assume if they're telling me that i'm frame controlling that likely they're trying to communicate to me that they're there's, they're feeling a way that it isn't allowed to be expressed or they have some sort of view that I'm performing moves that doesn't al- don't allow them to come out or something. So my first move would be to sort of ask on a very grounded level, uh, far, as far away from stories as possible, be like, do you feel like angry or sad? Like, what do you want right now um, to sort of ground it in the baseline? Because um, obviously, like, I don't I don't want to frame control. Um and so I, that would be my, my attempt to not. No, I think that's an awesome answer. And I wonder if I'm a bad person that that didn't occur to me, like, of how, of how to respond to the... The fact that you're always wondering whether you're a bad person also suggests that... <laughs> you might not be. One of the... Okay, one of the things you say about frame control, which is makes it look like this awful superpower to uh, people, like, I don't know, people who don't have as many social awareness skills as others, you say that much of frame control occurs in the land of things not said. And you gave a couple examples, one of them being that if uh, you and your partner have a fight and then afterwards your partner suggests something and you agree with them in public, that like has the secondary function of like aligning yourself with your partner again. But then if your partner says, no, I didn't mean that, I meant this instead, then they're not just clarifying, they're, their secondary function is like unaligning themselves with you. And I gave another example of telling a friend, I can't talk right now, I'm running to a doctor, uh, which has lots of you know small implications like... Right now, the priority is the doctor's appointment and not the friend. And I am taking the time to tell you this. Uh, so you're still important to me. You, I want you to know about my life. But also, you know, implication, I take care of my health. Like, there's lots of little implications to any, any one thing that's said. And you say that frame control relies heavily on the apparently trivial secondary functions. And mm-hmm. I have, like, that is kind of scary to me because I can't see most of the trivial secondary functions and I don't know what to do about that. Like how, how do they do that? And what can we do about it? Just check how you feel. I think, like, I think that as social animals our our guts are sort of the things that respond to it. I think a lot of what a lot of people are doing when they feel into intuition around these things, um, this is maybe a skill that rationalists are actually worse at than the average person. And it might just... be one of the reasons why they're more susceptible, but like, your gut is like a really great indicator of this. Like one of those examples was a, an experience that I had and I had no idea what was going on. I just knew that my gut felt bad and it took me like, like an un, unflattering, like many hours to figure out exactly what had gone wrong for me. And then I realized that I, I had these expectations, these very subtle expectations in the conversation about like what was meant. Um, and that, which, which is fine, right? Like this is always happening. Um, and I didn't really notice that this was happening until uh, I started like hanging out with somebody who didn't really uh, operate according to this. Like, it was like so explicit that like there was no no sort of secondary implication of what he was saying, hmm. um, which really shocked me. 
but I think just follow like you, you, you probably just feel bad. And what usually happens is like people are saying things, you start to feel bad about it or feel like suppressed or like angry or afraid. And then you say to yourself sort of, well, there's no reason for me to feel like this. So I'm just going to sort of ignore it or tell myself not to feel like that or focus on the good things. Um, and, and that, I think, is the mistake here uh, that, that, that gets people trapped. Yeah, I think one of the things you said was like if asking someone if they want to go to the store and they say, no, thanks, because I went last time. Like, I, I might feel bad about that. But then I would think, oh, yeah, I guess th they did go last time and they're allowed to have like boundaries and not have to go all the time. And uh, and yeah, that that's totally cool. Why am I feeling bad about this? And then you, you put that, like, if they're saying this in a certain context, it might be an implication that last time they went with you, they were doing you a favor and making a sacrifice. And, like, you should feel indebted to them. And, gosh, like, I don't know how to, how do I silence the part of myself that is agreeing with them and being like, no, but rationally, they're, they're just, you know, they're setting boundaries, they're a good person. And should I even do that? Do, I guess I'd have to see a lot of other red flags from this person, too. Yeah. What's your, what's the rest of your gut yeah. about the rest of your interactions, maybe? Yeah. Um, before we were recording, when you were, uh, when you mentioned, like, feeling it in your gut, I was just talking to Inuyash about this, because it's a skill that I had to learn. I'm guessing that, I mean, you, you were also saying it took you an embarrassing or whatever it was, like, three hours. I used to not have this ability to feel my gut feelings at all, and I had to train it through meditation and other techniques. Um, I still am bad at it, but I've only just started to develop the ability to notice that, like, something feels off about social situations. Uh, and it's cool. It's like a superpower now, kind of. <laughs> but, where, but like, I, I'm guessing that you were probably also raised in a similar sort of invalidating environment mm. where you're again sort of a frame frame controlled by parents or whatever or by culture to suppress all of your emotions and your your bodily like feelings of emotions compartmentalize them or like if they do come up immediately like no like i, I would be a bad person if i thought that you know so and so right. was was bad <laughs> i gotta be charitable yeah. to everyone all the time and, and obviously like the answer here is not necessarily to just only trust your gut. Like there's lots of times our gut is like really upset by things that we don't understand, but are, are actually not things that we endorse even upon further reflection. So like my argument here is not that we should be like, pay attention to your gut and like ignore all the rational stuff because it's going to lead you astray. I think probably cultivating a, a skill of like holding both in your mind at once, even if they feel contradictory to be like, I rationally agree with this and I also feel uncomfortable with it. And to like, not try to suppress like not to dismiss or repress one because both of them are legitimate like indicators of something and maybe you don't know what it is and when with with frame control often it encourages suppressing one of them um and that which means suppressing potential red flags or suppressing like actual information about you yourself and it doesn't even have to be rational sometimes like if you if you continually feel really terrible around a person even if consciously they're seem great and fine like that it should be enough for you to be like i just don't want to hang around you maybe you're fine but like i want to feel good and and so like a lot of the problems with frame control is like you're feeling like shit yeah the environment i was talking about before is or like the kind of toxic environment uh, like would tell you that you don't have the right to make that choice for yourself which is really right. toxic uh you got to just put up with people especially like i see this a lot with um you know kids hanging out with their grandparents or aunts who are like crossing their boundaries, you know, Oh, go give grandma a hug and a kiss. And like this kid might 
just be really averse to touch, but they'll force you. You're like, you're bad if you don't want to kiss grandma. That's like the way you train that kind of suppression of mm-hmm. uh, your gut feeling and your, you know, internal feeling of what your boundaries are, what values they're protecting and what rights you have about what happens to you. So it seems like a lot of this isn't like a binary, yes, no, this person is a frame controller. It's a lot like everyone's doing a little bit of this all the time and you need more of a uh, Bayesian probability of how extreme this person is and how likely it is that they are harming you. Um, And if that is the case, uh, maybe we should go through this list of red flags that we pulled out Mm -hmm. that can help you update your (laughs) probabilities in certain directions. Does that sound reasonable? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then I'd I'd like to give Ayla the floor for the last... I know you've only got a few minutes left. Um, Just to make sure we touch on anything else you wanted to touch on. You know, we don't leave any important ground uncovered here. So whatever order you guys want to take that in. Sure. Uh, I think one of the ones we already covered quite a few times is they have status and power. That seems to be a pretty important one. Um, And one that was right near the top, which I found interesting, is they do not demonstrate vulnerability in conversation. They don't laugh nervously or give tiny signals that they are malleable and interested in conforming to your opinion or worldview. I guess, does that happen a lot? That people give tiny signals that they're malleable? Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. I think that this holds true even for people who actually know way, way more than you. Like, I got some pushback on this one being like, but what if somebody actually is an expert in your field and you are just wrong? I think I think it is absolutely still possible to demonstrate small social vulnerabilities um, in in situations like that also. Okay. And I think that most people do this pretty well. Hmm. All right. I've seen people, yeah, who are experts in their field, like, caveat. Like, well, I'm pretty sure that this is the case, actually. But, like, I'm open to being wrong, uh, you know, having that humility. Uh, reframing harm as beneficial is... Uh, one of the big ones, because I guess apparently lots of times discovering things about yourself is painful and they like, they can reframe that as like, if you're feeling pained around me, it's, it's actually for your own good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another one, knowledge passes from them to you. They're uncomfortable with you holding subcategories of expertise. And the interesting one, they ultimately judge the value or role of what you're presenting, which seems really like, how would you even do that? Uh, The college professor who raped me uh would we we were walking around like a wildlife park one time and i like mentioned some facts about a flower that we saw and he laughed dismissively and was like oh you science people always trying to quantify things oh, one damn. day you'll you'll know that like i don't know spirituality is really what matters or something so just sort of mm-hmm. devaluing you la- like laughing and rolling your, their eyes mm. yep that's damn that sucks that's also hard because one of the I don't know. One of the ways I sometimes deal with completely kooky beliefs like UFOs or, or you know, the more nutty religion, religion, spiritual things is just kind of like laugh at it and be like, yeah, that's that's great and move on because, I don't know, Wait. I don't feel it's worth dignifying with a deeper conversation. Is that a mistake? Should I not do that? Uh, I, it, it, you're not trying to, you know, hmm. There's a lot of things in this article you could do without being in danger of frame control. They're all just little points. Okay. Yeah, like it sort of has to add up to a toxic pattern yeah. on, the, you know, like, uh, anyway, uh, you actually skipped one up here, uh, the finger trap beliefs. Oh, yeah. Uh, could I hear that finger trap beliefs, <laughs> which I love that my term for beliefs where pulling against the belief only strengthens the belief. Uh, frame controllers are often reframe ideas that challenge them as red flags that point to deeper flaws in the questioner. Which kind of the thing of, you know, oh, you you know, you you science people, you just, you know, nerds who are just trying to add things up. Hmm. That's not how reality works. 
Yeah, I knew uh, one of the Rationals adjacent cults, the, uh, the head guy in this, often talked about how, like, the world hated him or the world misunderstood him and the world, like, definitely categorized him as this specific kind of bad. And they didn't know because of the, these, they were blind because of these reasons and they couldn't see these benefits in him. And so what this was, was immunizing people against, uh, like, doubting him or believing the things the world was saying. They'd be like, oh, maybe the world is right. And then they'd be like, oh, of course I would think the world is right, because this guy has told me already that, like, that is a sign of his, as, as proof of his, uh, his his mentality about himself, as I would consider that an example of finger trap belief. Nice. Yeah. Uh, they have a belief in their own importance. I guess this means above and beyond the normal thing, because a little bit of belief in your own importance is a good self-esteem thing. I would call it entitlement. And, oh, God, yeah, okay. I'm entitled to... Uh, special treatment, you know, when I talk, people should listen to me. Okay. If I express a preference, everybody should drop what they're doing and go try to, for no, like, and it, it, this could be because someone is, like, a, a genius inventor, or, like, but a lot of the times it's just, you know, an asshole at the grocery store being My like, I, I, I'm late for an appointment. I need to get to the front of the line right now. Why, why isn't anyone listening to me? I'm going to file a complaint. Where's the manager? You know, and this is just, like, some, you know, middle manager to, bookstore or whatever has never done anything important they my just... boundaries are the most important boundaries and everyone else must accommodate me yeah i'm just the most important person in the room all the time yeah. mm. i think that a lot of people who don't frame control also view themselves as very important and but basically all people who frame control view themselves as very important there's a healthy way of viewing yourself as important too that doesn't mean that you like you get to demand that other people treat you in a way that you're not willing to reciprocate and that, in fact, you're sort of insulted by the idea that you should have to do things for this, like, other person. <laughs> Give them special treatment. I, crap, we're running low on time, so I'm going to yeah, maybe go skip through. through some of these. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the Here's one that I really liked. A narrative of openness and flexibility that deflects from areas of inflexibility. And you give the example of graciously sacrificing sacrificing hours of their attention, helping you work through why you don't want to do a task they want you to do. <laughs> you, you sigh. This this is a thing that's. I just want to go like hit my head against a wall. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like I, I I yeah. It seems like when you're at the point of of trying to like talk to someone, why don't you want to do this work for me? And spending much more time and effort on that than just getting it done. That that that's probably a bad sign. Yeah. Um, orienting around their turf, they decide the location and method of debates. Um, consistently reroute pressure away from them. You mentioned where you watched a student once point out an error a teacher had made, and the teacher responding by asking the student a question that mm. investigated what was behind the pointing out. What really caused, uh, what was really about them that caused this, uh, and then never actually addressed the, the initial error at all. It's, it's... That, that one jumped out to me because that seemed like a particularly shitty, like, thing for the instructor to do because it's like you're teaching us martial arts if i'm doing it wrong i can get hurt or hurt somebody like that's why i pointed it out yeah. <laughs> but i mean this is just somebody who's like inflexible in their dominance it seemed like yeah yeah mm -hmm. uh they ask questions with forced answers uh common tactic in police interviews as well apparently uh mm -hmm. but things like did you leave your dish in the sink you know that i don't like that right you left your dish in the sink knowing i don't like that right so you admit you're intentionally upsetting me Mm -hmm. Which is crazy because each individual question is like, I guess if you answered factually incorrectly, like, yeah, I, I left the dish there. And I I guess you know you don't like that. Yeah, sure. You, you've said it before. But then, like, it comes down to you admit you're intentionally upsetting me, which, wow. Mm -hmm. 
You're cleaning the house. Yeah, really that was my loud. dad's favorite one. You know that loud sounds upset me. Like, why are you trying to do this? You know, I have an important thing to do. Like, I had headphones on. You said your dad would do that a lot. Uh, yeah, this one was my dad's favorite. <laughs> his his uh his choice his choice red flag there. Yeah, mm-hmm. everything that they do or everything that you do is about them somehow. My mom would do that too. You know, like you were always in your room as a kid. It's because you hated me. It's because you thought I was stupid. I was like, uh... ah. <laughs> uh, did you have a hard stop, Ayla? Uh, no, I have a soft stop. Okay, I I don't want to uh, push into your time too much. I know we, we were late getting started, so I just want to be mindful of that. So it, it... yeah, another five minutes would be fine. Cool. In which case, the soft stop starts getting harder. Okay. <laughs> Uh, they make buried claims, um, like buried claims. I thought was an interesting one. Again, the pressure you have to jump through hoops to challenge the core of the claim. Something like everyone knows you're sensitive, where you can't even like challenge being sensitive without challenging first the everyone knows part. Um, I, I guess, isn't that one of those ones where you can kind of ride around it just by saying? Eventually, I got near the end of this and I was like, wow, a lot of these. It feels like you should be able to ride around them just by saying fuck you to the person. Yeah, that's what you have to say. If you try to argue with it, then like, well, I, I don't think everyone thinks that. Oh, well, I could, you know, you remember when this person said it? Well, that doesn't mean yeah. everyone, you know, it, it's just well, the argument will go on forever and they'll just keep pulling shit out. I think like a better way to imagine it is like, imagine what would you say, but also if you loved them. Like, could you really say fuck you to this person for all of it if you act genuinely loved them? Mm, I think that's why you just got to stop loving people. You can and yeah. you have to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, the last one, constantly redirect to salient measures. That one still seems weird to me because, like, I like salient measures. I think they're important. It's hard to not have them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, can you explain more what you mean by that, though? Um, I don't remember what I wrote in that specific part, but I think this is basically the sort of thing where uh, um, where if if you, if you challenged, you can point to, like, the concrete things that you said or did to, as evidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, for example, if you're doing, like, the subtle thing where you said oh do you want to go to the store or i forget the example it's like i'm i do you really want me to go to the store with you or something um but really this is like pulling on a context where you are sort of implying other things and then you're challenged you can be like well but i just said oh i just want to go to the store with you like what are you so freaked out about giving it like plausible deniability yeah or like i i do care about you i put a roof over your head and i feed you like that is legitimately evidence of care like how could you like this is very counter to your claim that I don't care about you. Um, so like a lot of the, the subtle things, which is what frame control works on, uh, they sort of reroute it to like the very concrete things, which are of course always in their favor. Mm, okay. Okay. Uh, then I guess just really quickly, since see people are worried about not doing frame control, uh, some of the signs that someone isn't doing them is if they give you power over them, like indications that they want your approval or support. Uh, if you actually really deeply feel loved by them, which was an interesting one. Um, hmm, okay. Uh, they repeatedly validate your reality wholeheartedly, and they defer to you as an authority on yourself. Acceptance, they carry an attitude that you're fundamentally okay, and you don't have to justify their preferences. All all signs of a good relationship, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the one that you're confused by, uh, you feel really deeply loved by them. In the relationship I just got out of, uh, we had this argument about, I, since I was raised in an invi- invalidating environment, and... Uh, my parents would say things they didn't mean all the time, you know, like, we'll love you no matter what. But then, like, they'd show that it was conditional upon, like, me getting good grades or whatever. Mm. Uh, I was like, I really, like, want, you know, I I care about concrete actions. So one of the arguments I started having toward the end of the relationship is I I really need you to act like someone who loves me and cares about me. And you need to act like it. You can't just keep saying, well, of course I love you and care about you. And then 
behave like you hate me. <laughs> so at the very end here, you say that you're pushing for a lot of things that are pretty dangerous. How would you like people to take this post and integrate it into their lives in a way that is helpful, but like also not, not potentially dangerous to them? Yeah, great question. Pretty lightly. Um, I want this to be like a, a fluffy, helpful piece of evidence pointer that like might validate your gut feelings if you already have them. Like ultimately you have to check in with what you're feeling. Like how, how do you feel in your body? Like, is it good? Is it bad? Do you want to like move away or towards like that is sort of the one thing that you can kind of trust. Um, of course, sometimes it's very hard to tell exactly what you're feeling, but like, I think moving in that direction is, is the key here. Like a lot of frame control is sort of like manipulating sort of the stories that you hold. And so like the only way to be safe is sort of to check in with yourself. Um, even like the post itself can be pretty dangerous also. Like a frame controller could use a lot of the things that I said uh, to do frame control better or to convince you that they're not doing it. So like ultimately, like the, the shit that I said in the blog post uh, is all second in importance to what's going on in, in you. Yeah, you pointed out, yeah, that frame controllers will read this and use it as an instruction manual to be less visible. Are you worried at all about making them more effective? Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely think there's some cons to me having published this. Um, I think that like the pros are greater, like there's more salience around it. I suspect that it will probably help more than it hurts. Um, but I am definitely worried about the way that, might, that it might hurt. I, I wouldn't worry because they do that anyway. I mean, this is like a lot of the stuff they advise you when you're getting an MBA or trying to, you know, start a, you know, startup culture generally, like they kind of teach people narcissistic tactics to, to, uh, play mind games with people. It's not like this information's not already out there, but it's like disguised as these like, you know, self-help, self-esteem books, or how to get ahead. So mm -hmm. I, I, having the other side, I think is really important and more people need to be talking about how, how to recognize when this is happening and what kinds of tactics you can use against them. Uh, one more thing, when you were saying about um, really just like feeling your gut, if you are the kind of person that has been like raised or like just has a poor sense of that, a way that uh, I started to learn how to do it was just re focusing on um, after I've spent time with this person, do I feel like I've gained energy from the interaction or do I feel drained? Like the whole idea of sort of a psychic vampire it's not always accurate. You might just be hanging out with someone who's like really energetic and a lot and you're a little bit, but like, is it like sort of a happy tired or is it sort of like, Oh, thank God. Like I can't wait to lay down. <laughs> All right. I know you have to go. Were there before you ran anything that you wanted to touch on, say that we didn't uh, cover that you think is important to get out? No, you did a great job. It was very thorough. And I felt like I said all of the important things. So thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, no problem. Thank uh, you. Thank you so much for coming. I have one last question for you. Um, yeah. It, what are ways people can support you? Um, I know that you have an OnlyFans account. There is a link, I think, from the About page on your website, Knowing Less, to just send you like money directly. Any other ways that people can find you or support you or any links you want us to throw in? Thanks. Yeah, I mean, there's my Twitter, obviously, A-E-L-L-A -L -L -A underscore girl. Um, I think in my – I think I have a – oh, fuck on all my links, whatever page, uh, which has a tip me in crypto if you want. Um, but I also am probably starting a research institute here and then I'll have like a pretty obvious place for funding. Oh, if somebody shit. wants to support me there. Oh, nice. Awesome. Could, at the risk of asking too much of you, could we have you back in like a couple months to talk about this research institute thing? Yeah. I mean, it's, assuming it goes well, Fuck <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just got, um, uh, it looks like I'm getting funded, so I'm probably going to quit only fans. We'll see. Oh, um, but yeah, 
There will be a lot of sad people that day, but <laughs> research institutes are fucking awesome. Thanks. Awesome. Well, thanks again. This was really enlightening, and I have only read a handful of posts on your blog, and I'm planning on reading a bunch. This is great. So, um, uh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. I can't think of anything else to wrap up. Were you going to say something, Inyash? No. I mean, I had a few other things, but they're completely unrelated, and I was just hoping to throw them in at the end. But we can touch them next time uh, we talk with Ayla. So, yeah. Sounds great. Okay, sounds great. Thanks so much, guys. You have a great day. Thank you. Yeah, you thanks. too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Testing, testing. Yeah, it looks like we're still good. Well, rationalism, I know I've said this before, is more of a youth movement, and it certainly was, and some some of the people in it are aging up a bit now i as i look in the mirror um but uh but that has the downside of not having a lot of older people with a lot of experience acting like as community support that can that can help out in these situations be like eh, you know be wary about that and and give like some advice and guidance when you're trying to figure out everything on your own from first principles it's exciting and you can find out a lot of new stuff but also you can fall into some traps that wouldn't be there if there were a lot of people around that had fallen into these similar traps in the past. And uh, this is, I guess, one of those things where you're like, hey, here's here's one of the traps that we've fallen into. Watch out for this one. I think that it's cool that we're picking up on it early, the first generation being, I mean, when you're talking about interpersonal relationships, younger people just by their nature of yeah, having less experience are more vulnerable. But uh, like being old doesn't protect you from this. The Catholic Church, for example, mm. full of toxic abusers, and they happened to be around for like long this long, and they created a system that not only what like attracted uh, really toxic, abusive, you know, horrible people, but the system protected them for a long time. I man. that's what we do not want to become. <laughs> and I mean, one of the things about religions is that that's. What a religion is intended to be is a frame for people to live their lives inside of. Like, they tell you how the world works and how you're supposed to exist inside of it. And <laughs> that can be easily abused since it's it, that's the, literally the purpose of the organization is to provide a frame for the world. And it has this hierarchical structure that I hope we never develop. I mean, like, I think that some, definitely some people in our community are susceptible to um, being starstruck by, I don't know, Elia Zyukowsky or... Robin Hanson or like the maybe Ayla the um the celebrities of our community but we haven't been around long enough that we have like Pope you know hats. yeah popes and like archbishops and whatever the heck else like that the hierarchy is is dangerous I like that as a community we tend to prefer people's ideas and like try to treat people as though they're on equal footing I hope if we ever do get a, a the equivalent of a pope hat it's not a hat it's like a really stylish leather jacket or something why not both I guess you could have both. You could have like a Vampire Hunter D hat sort mm. of thing and a duster jacket yeah. and a mechanical horse. That's what I want. That would be cool. Mechanical horse would be hard. You'd have to... Well, I guess if you had a garage, you could store it in the garage. <laughs> Although if you're the Pope, you're not about to be someone running out of space problems, right? Or have money issues. Yeah. I mean, the Pope has a Pope mobile, right? He does. Steven, you're being oddly quiet about our Pope conversation here. I missed the beginning of it, actually. Play with us, Steven. Join our, <laughs> join our panting. <laughs> I was going through all of the, like, 16, I don't know, uh, closer to a dozen tabs opened uh, during the Ayla conversation, and then after, <laughs> so I could, just going through, like, the About page. 21-minute um, 20, documentary with H. John Benjamin. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Just, I don't know, I was looking at that stuff. So, how do we get on the Pope? I'll go ahead and settle this for you guys H. Quick. John Benjamin, should he or should he not be the Pope? Could he do the worse? The Pope now is that really chill guy who says atheists go to heaven, right? I Honestly, I don't keep up on the Popes anymore. I think it is, because we haven't had a Pope... 
there's the that we had Pope Nazi like 15 years Ra- ago, Ratzinger. right? Is it still <laughs> the guy that came after Ratzinger? I think it's it's the guy who came after him, right? Because I remember he said he's some been, transphobic shit, so I don't like him. It probably way. I mean, I'm you're probably right, but I'm assuming it's way less transphobic than any previous pope. I'm only saying that because I think he also said dogs go to heaven. So like, this, <laughs> well, this okay, guy, this guy and seems chill as fuck. If he's saying dogs go to heaven, I'm not sure he's even a Catholic anymore. Uh, he's infallible, sir. <laughs> Was he saying it during his infallible? Like, there's a time when you're infallible as the Pope. And oh, I didn't, I didn't not. know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so it's only when you're literally speaking about matters of theological importance, and I guess you're tapping into the Jesus line or something. That sounds theologically important to me. It does, but maybe just said it off the cuff or something. He was uh, like, "Yeah, all dogs go to heaven." Didn't we all see that cartoon? I'm, I, you know, like I, 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 I think I, literally, I, if you're saying dogs go to heaven, you're not a Catholic because I'm pretty sure dogs don't have souls. I don't consider myself an expert on uh, the Pope or uh, the intricacies of the papacy and its its tie-ins to perfect knowledge. Maybe but... he's saying when you go to heaven, a portion of your own soul manifests as the dog that you had. Oh, that makes it creepy. Then you just have like a pea zombie version of your dog, or Aww. and it licks your face. You know, that's just weird, right? I, see, I thought it was. I was being sweet. No, you were. I think it's. It can be cute. I mean, if you could give it a seed of your soul, that that could, it could like piggyback onto to go to heaven with you. But it's it's the it's your dog. It's not your memories of your dog. No, it's you not your dog. I'm going to veer us hard back on course here because <laughs> it sounds like we're talking about things that you know we. That sounds like it might make us happy, but we should look for things that aren't for the sake of happiness just alone, right? <laughs> Fantastic. Always killing it on the segues. <laughs> so let's get into the less wrong posts uh, for this week. And the first one is, as Stephen said, not for the sake of happiness alone. Stephen, why do you do things? <laughs> you know, I get hungry, satisfy. Uh, have you ever tried not doing things? Um, Sometimes. It depends on like how my body is feeling. That's, that's, that's where I was going. Like, the, the longer you go without doing something, the more heroic the effort it takes to do nothing. <laughs> You know, eventually it's like, I have to pee. Am okay, I going to do okay. it here or I'm going to get up and go do it, right? <laughs> so. Well, I, I was going to say it's easier to do nothing when I'm feeling like kind of broken down and things are hurting. Or I'm rather, just... it's not easier to do nothing, but it's harder to do anything. That's yeah. the same thing, yeah. but sort of a glass half full. Damn, I was trying to be funny and light and you guys, sorry, actually, sorry. No, no, you guys, you guys brought it home correctly in a heavy way. <laughs> Uh, so let's just put it this way. I do things to make me happy, Inyash. Do you? I, I sure think so, right? Well, there are ethicists that argue that all human desires are reducible in principle to the desire to see ourselves and others happy. Um, and so the question becomes whether we should care about the things, whether we should care about the things that make us happy on their own, apart from any happiness that they bring. Which, honestly, I think this is, I wish we had Wes on for this, since Wes is one of the wireheaders that believes happiness is the only reason anyone does anything. We got to have that conversation at some point for sure. I, I remember. So I read this post, and I, as I read that, he mentioned Sam Harris and the End of Faith, and he just mentioned that he did a drive by at that thought. He didn't like actually explore it. Mm-hmm. He does in um, the Moral Landscape, and I, can, I and I know Harris didn't use this word, but I know that uh, Julia Galef I think summarized it perfectly. If you sub out happiness with eudaimonia, mm-hmm. and eudaimonia is happiness minus whatever your philosophical objections are to happiness. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think if you sub that in. And just say, that's what we mean when we're talking about happiness here. I think, um, I mean, Eliezer makes a good um, analogy with the uh, feeling of making a scientific discovery. Do you think just that feeling is the only thing that's important about scientific discovery? Because eudaimonia sounds like it it would be, it would remove the actual scientific discovery thing, right? If you could just get the happiness were, of it. Yeah, just in a simulation that wireheaded you, the feeling of just getting a scientific discovery every, you know, on a regular basis. And you just sat there in that bliss. I think that 
I think it's my in my opinion is it's important for your beliefs to be anchored to reality and I'm, your feelings. I think Edemonia would explicitly say no; it has to be tied to other stuff. But um, aren't you supposed to get rid of the stuff that you know the philosophical objections to being happy? No, no, no. It, so I the the if someone asks you what does eudaimonia mean, it just means happiness. And then if someone's like, oh, I've got all these problems like happiness. All right, we'll subtract all those. Oh, okay. And just like whatever happiness means minus all the baggage you're trying to bag it down with. I very And so rarely... if, if like you're like, well, what about happiness except wireheading? Well, then I'm not talking about wireheading, right? Um, I don't know if this is what you're talking about, but I very rarely <laughs> sad, uh, experience happiness without a feeling of guilt for feeling happy. Oh, damn. That's, that's not great. I also feel bad about feeling bad, which is annoying. I hate having <laughs> so you just feel a bad all the time that I just can't access the source code to. Like yeah. I want to, I mean, you know, the way you do that is with therapy, time, and reinforcement of like the good kind of happiness. But yeah. and maybe there's a way that that's sort of similar to wireheading. Like if I could just go edit my soul with the candle style, like that also raises some ethical things. But do you think there's no value to a scientific discovery then if it doesn't cause any happiness no i totally disagree so there's stuff that's valuable outside of happiness yes okay yeah so i if i were to summarize what i think if i were to define eudaimonia quickly i'd say it's the the kind of life that because it's not just about happiness it's it's about your your life as a whole Mm -hmm. it's the kind of life that if you if you could pick you would pick for yourself and for those you love like that if we get to choose our life this is the kind we'd all choose and if that's fuzzy, that's because it was, you know, it's Greek and it was made up by Aristotle. And virtue ethics is not, like, hardly, it, like, doesn't have hard definitions, right? And, like, but, happiness doesn't exist as, like, a, a solid construct somewhere that you could point to. I was about to say, that sounds explicitly <laughs> like not happiness. And saying it as, you know, it's happiness with the stuff, the objections to it removed is wrong. Because, like, there's things that I would pursue that might make me, you know, less happy but I want to pursue them anyway. But you get greater satisfaction out of it, right? Yeah, like, but then then that's not happiness minus the things that people have object- objections to. That's a different thing, which I'm okay with. I just don't think we should call it happiness. Yeah, I I liked Julia Galef's quick summary of it just as like uh, a quick way to pass through the definition. But if it's not landing, then we're, we're getting a little hung, to it. hung up on the definitions. Uh, but what it works not entirely because he does say that for all value to be reducible to happiness, which is what some people were saying is possible, it's not enough to show that happiness is involved in most of our decisions. It's not even enough to show that happiness is the most important consequent in all our decisions. It must be the only consequent. And I think we're all saying, like, it's not the only thing. There's, yeah. there's other things, too, that I we think find Elias important. agreeing with us, too, when he says... Uh, I'd be disturbed if people retreated into holodecks and fell in love with mindless wallpaper. I'd be disturbed even if they weren't aware it was a holodeck, which is an important ethical issue. If some agents can potentially transport people into holodecks and substitute zombies for their loved ones without their awareness. Yeah, which is sort of one of... Should we be disturbed by people retreating into holodecks and falling in love with wallpaper? I think, yeah, or rather, like, that was the thing that um, made me question whether friendship is optional the like end of that story was an actual utopia or not because i mean spoilers for a thing that's been out for a long time uh the utopia that the super ai ends up creating is everyone's in their own bubble universe and it's full of npcs that because you know people get the most happiness if they're surrounded by if they have friends that are the best possible friends that they could be for that person. And the fact is that most relationships have some conflict, so it would be better to substitute r- real friends for fake ones that'll make you happier. And that just sounds sad to me. Like, 
the world is just a bunch of little self-contained universes that are full of fake people. <laughs> you yeah, never get to interact. One real person in each one that never interacts with another real person in their life. And I think that's what makes you human. You, you need the full spectrum of emotions. Happiness without sadness to complement it is, or like not, you know, to contrast it against and to give it meaning isn't, I don't think, true happiness. I don't and think you need sadness necessarily. I think you do. I think you need the full range of emotions in order to experience life. I mean, like, I, I think that we should try to minimize suffering. And I don't think, like, it's obviously not fun to feel sad. But sometimes it's important. Um, if well, if a loved one died, would you prefer to just continue to feel happy and not be upset about it? It feels like it takes away the meaning of the value that person had for you. No, right? no, absolutely not. But, I mean, I also would prefer for, to never have a loved one die. Yeah, and well, I don't think I need to live in a world where a loved one dies to make my life more experientially rich. But I mean, uh, okay, like that was an sub, extreme yeah. example. Sub that out for like something else, you know. You may have well, I, take, I don't want you, to sub you, it you, out you, for you, someone you, else. You may, have, you may have taken like your physical health like for granted until you hurt your back. Yeah, yeah. And then you're like, oh, that was actually really nice when it didn't hurt all the time. No, no, I, I, I wish. I mean, I guess maybe it's okay to hurt your back and be in pain for like a week or something. I'm not. I'm but... not saying you should stay crippled. I'm saying the point is like it highlights the how awesome it is not to be in pain when you are in pain. Yeah, sure. I mean, all sorts of fluctuations of of emotions are are good. I would say, but there's certain extremes that we would, I think, be better off completely without. Hundred percent. I don't think that that's. Uh, I think we're all down. in agreement on that. Yeah. Okay. Well, there, I mean, there there are some people who are not necessarily in agreement. They're like, oh yeah, you know, there, there's there's a reason that there's death in the world, and it's a good thing. Yeah, I well, don't want to eliminate death, yeah. but I wouldn't want to eliminate frustration, disappointment, sadness, uh, anger. Uh, they're important emotions, and they're there for a reason. Anger yeah. tells you when someone's violated your boundaries and when you need to step in. Frustration uh, can be motivational. Uh, sadness shows that something had meaning and value to you these so, are also all emotions that we seek out on purpose all the time yeah i don't know if you've ever we watched like, sad movies sat yeah. down and watched a sad movie exactly right you're like you know what i'm gonna have a bummer afternoon let's let's watch um <laughs> saving private ryan or sure yeah. old yeller i don't know what's what's a sad movie but crouching tiger hidden dragon yeah whatever yeah, that was pretty sad whatever like you know but if you know you're uh, you know first time going through this like all right i'm sitting down for a bummer let's do this sometimes you're just in the mood to do that you know, uh, stretch that muscle the movie inside out the pixar movie mm-hmm. again i'll spoil the thing that's been out for a while uh the uh now i have to like explain it they personified the like three major emotions as characters in this girl's head so you're sort of watching this girl's life and then it zooms in on these like characters in her brain that are pulling levers and whatnot to make her feel different things mm-hmm. and the the happiness character is a control freak and is always trying to like make sure that the little girl's always feeling happy and distracting or suppressing all the other emotions. This actually shows that this is really toxic because like when you watch her interactions with her parents, they're always like, "Oh, where's our happy girl?" or "Oh, you need to be funny." Like they were using her as like yeah. That felt really creepy to me because I had sort of the same thing where you're using your child to regulate your own emotions. It should be the other way around. The big like reveal of the movie was that actually the character Sadness, who was always the one that was being the most marginalized, was the important emotion that the little girl needed in order to realize that she was actually because she, she ran away at the end and like she became really emotionally numb and then started freaking out and then got on a bus and ran away. And they needed to trigger this character's sadness to come out in order for her to realize, oh, I still love my family. What I'm just sad about this loss of my friends and my like my old home. And she was able to then come back and have like and have and cry together with her parents. And they had like that. That's sort of what I'm getting at with like you need sadness for that. Mm-hmm. 
and for empathy too. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happened internally in the internal landscape was a, it's actually pretty dark for a Pixar movie, but they were adventuring for a bit with the little girl's imaginary friend from when she was a child. And the imaginary friend was trying desperately not to be deleted. Mm-hmm. But at the end, in order to save the little girl, he basically self-sacrifices and dies by, right. by jumping into like the pit of forgetting. But uh, it's because those characters were able to cry about that together that they were able to come to these realizations about, again, what was like meaningful. So that was my rant about an underappreciated, in my opinion, Pixar movie. Anyway, what are you saying? <laughs> I did not realize it was underappreciated. I thought uh, I've heard so many people, people like, oh, it. I, didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't get it. it oh, really? Like, Okay. Too much, too too intellectual. I don't know. Oh well, I mean, whatever. The maybe you shouldn't be discussing it with four-year-olds. But <laughs> nah, there's a lot of those on the internet. Yeah. Um, I got a philosophical question about this friendship's optimal thing. What if the NPCs were complex enough that they weren't just always making you like feel happy and joyful, but you sometimes did feel sad and frustrated and had to struggle against other things, so that you had the full range of emotions, but you still it was only your only you in there and no one else existed although you didn't know that because you did get the full range of emotions uh the thing that makes it really complicated and why i said i'm still like unsure whether that was a dystopia or utopia is that the ai was supposedly powerful enough that she could see exactly what things would make you happy Mm -hmm. as long as she could you know deliver them through friendship and ponies Mm -hmm. (laughs) so eventually there were some characters like there were these two characters that started playing the game in the very beginning uh when it was like when before the earth had been turned into paper clips but ponies um and they were separated from each other because like it, like they weren't making each other optimally happy as much as the other like npcs that the ai could create but she over time directed like from behind the scenes their sort of emotions and motivations enough that when that she merged their universes together and they were able to meet each other again and started rebuilding their friendship <laughs> but it was because she had manipulated them into doing that because she calculated that if they got to become friends again so it was like uh i i, I just i guess the question I can't is... figure it out actually like I, I don't have a yes or no answer for this it's complicated i do yeah what's your answer it's not a it's not one that i can i think i don't have a rational bedrock to defend it on but i have this sentimental attachment to reality mm-hmm. and so <laughs> if someone shoved me in a ai or you know in a in a um oh what was the like your experience universe. machine the, um, the, the equestria experience sure yeah uh the matrix experience machine or whatever um without asking and didn't you know i didn't know about it i'd be pretty bummed if i found out she required mm-hmm. consent for everything but the thing is that she but she also could manipulate people so that they would give consent because then she could better satisfy her own values of having more people be satisfied by ponies and friendship. I don't think consent is a real thing when you're dealing with an entity that is yeah. wildly and more intelligent than you. <laughs> um, it can talk you into accepting anything, including like, you know, destroying your brain and saying you'll never get to see your friends and family again. Like that sounds like a good idea. That's exactly uh, what she did. I know. So <laughs> it's not the sort of thing you'd, you'd ordinarily consent to if you weren't being, you know, out reasoned by a super intelligence. I guess if you're saying, or if someone were to say that, even being in a world that is fully complex, you can't tell that the NPCs are, are, aren't real people and you still get all the very varieties of emotion with sadness and frustration and all that. If even that still is a sad future, if you don't interact with any other real people, then 
one of the things this person values is interactions between real people, mm-hmm. regardless of, you know, happiness or other values. She would let them do that, though, because it, she actually could read their brain and determine what things. So if they lied about that, then she would give them NPCs and say they were real. But no, if I know, they genuinely I know. valued that, she'd let them like interact with other real people. Just it happened that most people were happier when they were interacting with more idealized fake people. No, I know she would, but like... As an outside observer, one of us might say that that is a bad future. And the yeah. reason we would say that is because we intrinsically value just people interacting with other real people for some reason, regardless of the other outcomes of those interactions. Yeah, that I would say that's a good summary of my position. I don't value that above literally all else. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't want, you know, okay, we've got an apocalypse world where it's, you know, worse than the land of Fallout. And, uh, you know, we've got two dozen humans left and they get to have real interactions. Isn't that great? I think I'd rather have a billion people living in separate simulations. Right. And no, I don't have a hard cutoff for how many people and the ex, you know, exact number of utils per human or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, um, I do have that as a, as a value. I think that it's important. I, I like talking with real people, yeah. you know, I think another way to, to demonstrate this point is like, if you, you know, woke up right now and you found that the last 40 years of your life have been a dream, you know, would you be happy that you're back in reality? Or would you be bummed that this was all, you know... I would actually be really bummed. I would miss you and Charlie and a bunch of other things and people. Same here. Mm-hmm. Isn't that weird? Because that seems to con- contradict what I am what I just said. I suppose it's if it was like the context of every other dream that I have here, you know, in what I think is real life, and it fades, and then the context of the rest of my life comes back, you know, that'd be one thing. Maybe I'd deal with it better or something. But yeah, it, it is weird. I would... I feel like this matters. I think that's the right? existential horror of playing a game of Roy. Yeah. <laughs> you wake up after your entire life and you're like, where's all the people I loved and things I did? Where's my wife? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that fucked me up. Uh, I think I... Hmm. Okay. So, let's go. I had a thought and then it might come back. But the um, Another thing that he says in here is that uh, when I'm deciding where to steer the future... I take into account not only the subjective states that people ended up in, but also whether they got there as a result of their own efforts, because that is something that is important to Eliezer, that uh, he calls it freedom, the ability to get places as a result of your own efforts. Uh, does First of all, I, I kind of think I agree with that too, but uh, does this have implications for UBI? I think UBI is less about like saying, look, you've all now have everything taken care of you'll never have to do you never have to lift a finger your whole life you know the robots will bring food to your mouth while you sit on your hover car right Mm -hmm. that functions as a toilet as well Mm -hmm. like um i think it's more just like you shouldn't transition future you you just don't have to shit anymore right but i I think at least my my version of ubi that i imagine is like you're not one you know slip on some you know uneven pavement away from losing your house and you know uh starving to death right yeah like it's just a safety net yeah Having so a... oh, you weren't finished um i was just i was going to give like an example of getting through getting through with your own effort uh you know you start a new video game and you can run to a high level area and get your ass whooped um you can go online find a cheat code and then go in and kick that boss's ass or you go off and grind for 60 hours and then you come back and you show that boss who's boss yeah. right the second one seems more rewarding maybe i set it up that way too heavily i but... think you're right i played uh the sims like an old version of the sims i remember it being really cool at the time uh i I did a few playthroughs where i was just playing it normally and some friend came over that was like oh do you know the cheat code where you can just keep adding a thousand dollars to your account and it was super fun for a few hours Mm -hmm. because you just got to like buy the biggest mansion and 
like yeah skip all of the conflicts but then after like a few hours you're like there's nothing else to do in this game and it didn't feel rewarding it just like it felt fun for a bit being like playing millionaire and then it's like and that's it though there's nothing else (laughs) to do now i got and it didn't really feel like you know if you had gotten the giant mansion after having spent like several generations of sims you know working and having the children make more than the parents and get better grades and like that like it feels like you earned it Mm -hmm. and then it's like much cooler of an achievement i have like two opinions on this i guess the the first thing is i want to i want to agree with steven that like it's uh that ubi isn't a thing that takes away meaning like it just means you have enough to eat and shelter over your head no matter what i think that's a human right or it should be well uh, yeah yeah and you still have to like if you want to be well known for being a musician you have to make good music if you want to uh carve a beautiful face into a mountain you still have to go out there and carve the face in the mountain right the ubi isn't going to do any of that stuff for you it's just going to make sure you don't suffer and die right (laughs) but then also like most people in their lives don't do those sorts of things the thing that a lot of people do find meaning in their life from is being there for their family and helping support them and you know giving them an education and a roof and taking care of them when they're sick and helping them out in times of trouble and a ubi would like take that away sort of like you... does it i don't think so i mean you can still spend time with your family and you can spend a lot of time with them but then there's there's less of the feeling important because your family literally needs you like well, no one needs you anymore when i think the two parent trap and uh just you know differential so- socioeconomic statuses from things that are not really under your control is really sad mm. I-, I think it's really upsetting when you know as I mentioned the two parent trap, two parents have to work, they leave their kids with a nanny or dump them off at a preschool or daycare. Then they're spending, you know, they're, they're spending their time and effort getting the resources for their families. But those kids probably would have benefited from more time with their parents in like a, a worse house or right. at, a, at a worse school. Yeah. Well, I mean, opinion. also that's, that gets the whole, the nuclear family is terrible and <laughs> we shouldn't have that, but that's a different discussion. I guess I, I guess, like, needing is kind of a trap because if you need someone, then, like, we just were talking about in the frame controller, uh, frame control thing, like, need can we, be... We haven't a... talked about it yet. Oh, well, I might put this afterwards. So that we can <laughs> okay. Talk about it. <laughs> Time travel. Yeah, yeah. You, you, like, if you need somebody, then they have a lot of power over you. You don't want to have to necessarily need someone because mm-hmm. then you're beholden to them. But on the other hand, like, being needed is really important and fulfilling as well so as a species we are interdependent and i think that's an important thing about us having families communities friendships social uh, or uh, romantic relationships is part of what makes us human and what gives us value i agree i just feel dirty saying that like it's important to need people because like right away that that sets up a lot a lot of uh abuse alarms in my head i think it is but like you want to be interdependent not codependent you want to be like there's there's a healthy version of being needed, helping others, and being able to ask for help when you need it. I think a lot of people just are feel like their lives are meaningless and they're floating through them because they don't feel like anyone needs them. And that's yeah. an important human psychological need. Um, something Stephen said before that really... Uh, I've been like saying this to other people recently because I just got a job after being like having some temp jobs that weren't really making enough money. and But... Uh, Fuck yeah, you did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Steven said, I want to, like, not necessarily, like, be, you know, 
wealthy. I just want to like have the comfort of being able to go to the grocery store without needing to check my bank balance first. Mm-hmm. Having been in that state again for a bit was really stressful. And I like didn't even realize how stressful it was until I got a job and started being like, oh, I better not buy a second drink because it's kind of expensive here. Oh, wait, no, I, I have a job. I can <laughs> or like. Uh, I don't know if I should go out tonight. Uh, Oh, wait, no, I can. It's just this like, oh, I can like make choices that aren't constrained by anxiety about whether I'm going to be able to pay rent or buy groceries. Yeah. And I think that, um, well, two things. uh, So you you weren't worried. You guys aren't worried at all about the UBI diminishing or removing the interdependence of humans? No, that's what I was just going to say. I think what I want to bring up Maslow's hierarchy of needs and say that. What I think UBI will do is raise people to the level of subsistence. like, And it could be comfortable subsistence. There are a lot of people who would prefer to just sort of live comfortably and don't have higher aspirations than that. But I think that's not the majority of people. So it's going to eliminate the suffering the and money anxiety, um, a lot of broken things about the job economy, like, you know, the, the fake jobs that are out there, uh, et cetera. Yeah. But it will still give people the opportunity to go above and beyond if they want to create art or if they strive to make a lot of money because they have some go- like particular goal. Maybe they want to buy a yacht or um, whatever the heck they want. I mean, if all we... I, I think it'll just improve human experience so much. If all we care is about is subsistence, I feel like we're kind of almost already there in America. I think we don't, though. That's why I brought up Maslow's hierarchy because it you know goes from food, shelter, water, like the basics, and then all the way up to self-actualization, which... Uh, yeah, but I'm, well, I guess what I was getting at is that if UBI is supposed to just provide basic subsistence, there's like almost no chance of anyone in the United States dying of malnutrition if they don't, unless uh, they're, you know, like a very vulnerable person that can't take care of themselves and whoever is taking care of them is neglectful. There's some pretty miserable, impoverished people in the U.S. Well, right? yeah, I, I wouldn't argue that, but they're not going to die from lack of they might. calories. I mean, you see homeless people all the time in Denver and I, I do see homeless areas. people, but I, I think homeless people count as the the vulnerable populations that can't take care of themselves that aren't being cared for, as opposed to a regular person who doesn't have enough ability to get food. I think my life would be vastly improved if I didn't have to like spend half of it or you know eight hours a day or I'm, the new job i'm taking is 55 hours a week oh damn so like i mean i, I kind of want that right now i, <laughs> I want some distraction yeah. but um you know like people can work because they love what they do or because they have a goal not because they need to spend most of their life scrambling around doing some bullshit to just basically survive i think that that's a vastly like that's a vast improvement and it can give them more time to climb up that hierarchy to get to the like you know, finding meaning, developing hobbies, forming close friendships, being there for your family, self-actualizing. That's the stuff that makes you really happy. And, uh, you know, subsistence is like better than being impoverished, but it's not like, you know, I'm ecstatically happy that I can just, you know, survive. Like most humans want more than that. Yeah. I, you know, subsistence, I think isn't just about like, I'm about to die from lack of water. I think it's like, there's some some amount of security that comes with knowing that, um, like I said, you're not one trip away from you know one slip and fall away from losing your 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 place of what you know where your home your your future yeah, right. You don't have chronic background money anxiety like, keeping you from going out and hanging out with your friends or 
it turns out that that's actually like an enormous drain on people's psyches right it sucked so yeah hadn't been in that place in a while i forgot how much it sucked yeah so i think it's less just about like oh look they you know it's i just think all those things will still exist under a ubi um because you'll get just barely enough to live which is we basically have that right now. If people are willing to live in a shit-ass, run-down shack with a couple of dirty roommates and, you know, eat off food stamps and get crap Medicare health care, they then can live without working. They... I don't think most people like being in that state. Though. No, no one <laughs> likes being in that state. It's awful. That's why you they... get the stress and the anxiety of like, yeah. oh, God, I can't go out. I need to check my bank balance before I go to the grocery store. But I'm just saying, like, if what UBI is supposed to provide is just basic um, subsistence, then... People are still going to have that that anxiety of like, oh God, I can't go out and have a drink. I can't. At least it sets that as the floor, right? Rather than you have to work sixty hours a week to get to that floor. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're working at uh, low paying jobs, you know, and you're trying to live in a city, like I've talked to people who just like don't seem to understand that. Like, oh well, you shouldn't live in a city. Then you're right. I should just pick up my shit and walk it's a thousand miles away to a cheaper part of the country, yeah. like where they have a job for me to do. Exactly. You know, like in my car that I own. Right. No, that's why I said walk. Right. I mean, oh. yeah. So that it, there, there's not an easy solution. And yes, like eventually moving to a cheaper area might be a, a, a good move, but um, it's not like a good starting position for a lot of people if you're in that kind of impoverished situation anyway it's likely you don't have like you might have mental issues or substance abuse or whatever and you probably don't have the executive function to even figure out how to move to wisconsin or wherever you know because it requires like going online now and finding a house uh they do an income check uh yeah you know finding a job like all this is pretty much online now if you don't have a smartphone or a computer you could theoretically go walk to your local library and use that but then you have to get a library card and then you have to provide like it's just yeah like I there's just, a lot of barriers towards upper mobility for these like people i guess and we got way off topic but the one thing mm-hmm. i just have been thinking of lately about ubi is that i want a ubi i think it is definitely a huge net good but i also don't think it'll change life in any meaningful way for anyone who's listening to this podcast imagine like if you're if you're making 1200 bucks a month mm-hmm and then your UBI comes in for a thousand bucks a month. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, and but you're but you're surviving on twelve hundred, right? Mm-hmm. Suddenly, you've got almost twice as much money. Mm-hmm. That will change people's lives. It would change my life. Uh, you know, imagine you know someone who is just working, sort of hand to mouth at Save a Lot or whatever as a cashier, and they come home exhausted. They have kids. That's all they can do because that's they're at their limit. If you give them UBI, they might be able to go to online university, uh, learn accounting, and like move up a social strata i guess the difference is that in my in my um imagination i thought ubi was taking the place of all the other government programs as opposed to um being added in addition to them i mean it probably would be and i think i'm okay with that unless i I have a little bit of hesitation about it taking away some welfare programs that i that's what i was gonna say if it if it replaces other programs i don't think it'll make any real difference uh i think it still will but i mean i do think it's net good to have it rather than the welfare programs because all the means testing and stuff's awful the thing you said about i don't think it is going to help anyone on this podcast Mm -hmm. Uh, first of all i think that's not true because or is listening to it there's i know some people that are struggling financially that Mm -hmm. and it's not because they're dumb it's because they have like i said executive function things or they've got other shit going on in their their health their families whatever but also, even if that were true, I still want it to help, like, the homeless people that I meet, uh, the, like, people with autism or Asperger's who, like, can't get a job because they don't have that ability and don't have, 
the luxury of having family members who will take care of them their whole lives. Like that that's who I care about. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not to say that I don't care about the uh, people listening to this podcast. I think you're all great, <laughs> but like uh I'm hoping that like you also, you know, you listeners would be okay with <laughs> UBI. Okay, yeah. never mind. Uh we okay. should probably we should Go move to the on. next one. Um, okay, I guess the the main thing I want the, the thing I ended this uh, post with was that uh, when I learned that there were people who did think all value was reducible to happiness and were good with wireheading, I was kind of surprised they existed. Like I, I, when I first read this post, I was like, I don't understand why this is here. This is just obvious common sense, and I guess I was wrong. I was surprised this was controversial. Yeah, I wish that there was some. I mean, of course, the problem is that. Well, I, I wish there was a way that you could just simulate what it would actually feel like to be in this, like, I only feel happiness about everything state so people could realize that it's completely unfulfilling, because I think it would be. I already gave my argument for why I think the full range of human emotions are important. But then again, like I said, if you could simulate it, it would you'd basically have built a wirehead, and there probably were some people that would be susceptible to just being like, no, keep the helmet on, I just want to live like this forever. I don't think they'd benefit from it, but I, I do think they should have that choice, but... I don't know. The Again, it's kind of like if you were able to give everybody heroin all the time without it killing them, like should you? Uh, I think I think a, I think a wireheader might reply that said if, if they put it on and then they realized oh this is super unfulfilling they would say that's not a good wirehead helmet, right? <laughs> it's supposed to it's supposed to make you feel fulfilled. Well, that's because they believe that happiness equals fulfillment, and I think that's a false or, or, premise or whatever else. Like I, I'm not a wireheader, but I imagine like. If you say, no, you'll actually be unhappy with this helmet, they're saying, then it's not the right helmet that I'm talking about. Right. I'm talking about one that'll actually make me actually happy. Well, then they'd have to define what actually happy means. Is, yes. <laughs> and I think that they can't. That might be the case. Shots I, fired. I'll oh. fight you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next post is leaky generalizations. Uh, should I just do my quick summary? Sure. Okay. My summary, uh, I pulled out this line. Do humans have 10 fingers? Most of us do, but plenty of people have lost a finger and nonetheless qualify as human. Practically every generalization used in real in the real world will be leaky. Gender. <laughs> and the entire post, as far as I could tell, was like, that's it? It's basically shit's complicated? And I I wasn't sure what to say about that aside from like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, shit's complicated. I, I'm, I'm not sure why there's a whole post saying shit's complicated, but I guess maybe it's setting up things for later. I think that there's a post because some people probably say that, no, it's not. Yeah, like you were talking about the wire headers, uh, where... I, I think there are some people that, yeah, I think that you can make these big generalizations, and I disagree. Uh, maybe there are some things, if if somebody could find something where they're like, this one's not complicated, it's super easy. Uh, maybe some mathematical concepts are like that, but things that aren't like, you know, algebra or whatever, things like uh, weather, uh, you know, human psyche just are complex and chaotic and hard to understand and there's not like a way that you can really really simply sum it up or explain it i don't know even like i'm thinking about the way that they teach particle physics in school where there's the billiards ball model because that's like the first model that you can grasp very easily as a young kid when mm -hmm. you're learning or as someone who's new to it and then you start to get into like relativity mm -hmm. <laughs> where you're like well yeah okay so it's not really actually these little billiard balls revolving around other ones it's actually like this uh cloud of probabilities where there's these things that are there and not there at the same time and then they can become entangled and, uh, <laughs> and then like there's layers of complexity that go on top of that and it's just complicated all the way down i think that life especially and just like the the world are like that 
but as humans, I think we have this dangerous tendency to want to simplify everything. And I think it's also a good tendency. Again, like it's a good way to teach um, particle physics. By I don't know if making this... a simple model and then just keep continuing to add it to it. But I think the danger comes when you're like the simple model is the whole model. This is all the information we need. Yeah, I think as long as you keep into in, keep in mind that like things are leaky and generalizations are generalizations, then it's okay to use them. Like yeah. it's okay to say humans have ten fingers. And it's okay to say death is bad, yeah. but it's also okay to say you should kill Hitler. Right, right. right. <laughs> like I mean, I think that I don't know if the the SSC post. Um, categories are made for the man not man for the categories links to this but it could mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. we it's... should link to it in the show notes just in case it doesn't okay or, or i was thinking that that post should post should point to this but it might not but the, the point is is like um i think that, I, I imagine that this was written because some people think that things are simple and like oh no it's easy um but it's often actually not like oh there's an xkcd comic about that too that i'll see if i can find nice to link um I had a random philosophical question if we want to just do that and pivot away from this or unless you wanted to keep on. No, I just, you know, I, I, I like the idea that as long as you can keep in your mind that generalizations are leaky and they are generalizations, it's handy to have them often. Totally. Yeah. I, no, yeah. I agree. I did have a thing to say about that, but I want Stephen to go first. All right. Um, well, I was, mine's actually less related, so you go ahead, Jace. <laughs> uh, I jokingly, but not jokingly, whispered gender mm-hmm. because... This is a thing that I run into all the goddamn time when people debate gender or they try to say genders, chromosomes, or gender, I don't know, like, it's uh, biology, you know, it's it's genitalia and secondary sex characters. Like, we don't actually, gender is a bunch of different things and they vary even in the wild. You get people with XYY or XXX or XXXX or XXXXX. That's the real thing. Mm-hmm. Look it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, lizards have like... I think if you Google that many Xs, you're just going to get porn. <laughs> <laughs> I think you need three. But uh, I'm just saying like genetics are weird. Um, you get people who have uh, what they call it ambiguous genitalia mm-hmm. where or like, intersex. Uh, you get people with hormonal differences and the thing is like you can pretty much change one gender to the other by providing or blocking the like estrogen or testosterone so it's like it's squishy it's complicated and people really really want to generalize it because they want to argue about whether or not like your gender identity is valid or you know whatever and i'm just like oh there's a really great post that i can link to i might have done it in like the other time we talked about being transgender but it's called uh gynandromorphic chickens and why gender is complicated or something like that i'll see if i can dig it up <laughs> i think in general like i um i don't care about gender anymore i'm like gender is like politics you can have whatever one you want high five but yeah but uh i think if the if in generalizations like you can pretty easily generalize that uh the human species basically has the two sexes and that it's a leaky generalization <laughs> it's very leaky. yeah and there's there's exceptions and edge cases and whatever but you know it's it's as good a generalization as humans have 10 fingers. I Basically look, true. Yeah. No, I, I think I get what you're saying. Like, as a trans person, I also get a bit annoyed when people are like, uh, they were fighting against like pussy hats because they're like, well, some women don't have pussies. <laughs> and I'm just like, come on. Like, or, you know, like menstruating people or like pregnant <laughs> people where I'm like, I, you know, I want to have kids. I, I, I personally I, identify as an ejaculator. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Squirting doesn't count. Oh, damn it. Yeah. As a sperm ejaculator? There you go. <laughs> okay. uh, so this actually, first off, the, the pussy hat thing did, I, that was like one of my, that was like, you know, 2016, 
the like Russia's ruining our discourse kind of like was at the forefront of my mind at that time. I wonder mm-hmm. if Russia actually started that meme. So, well, no, I, that, that's my thing is that when I when the second that that movement had the march hadn't finished that day before people were already like chewing their you know ripping their own tails off about this. Hmm. I was wondering like that was my first thought is like was this engineered like did some <laughs> did some you know group of, of people hit the blogs immediately to to just ruin this before it could even get off the ground right. or, or did it just happen naturally? I have no idea, but I'm glad you talked about the gender thing. Cause that was actually the random philosophy, philosophy thing I was going to bring up in last week's reading in worth the candle. There was a sword that I think did extra damage if it, if it was uh, wielded by a woman or by a girl. And of course, Raymer had a problem with this <laughs> and then it I led to this Raymer. argument with Tiff and all this and that. And I did, I, I thought that like the, that this would be kind of just a fun little tie in. Cause it's, uh, we 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 talked about it briefly on the show, but that show goes on for hours anyway, and we couldn't really figure out like what circumstances would work. But I don't think that's the point. Like the point is like any generalization you have is leaky enough, right? Mm-hmm. And then I think the reason we we tried to speculate like why this became an argument at the D and D table probably because Raymer was like fuck that or like <laughs> what if I put on a bra does that count? Like you know, I, think so I want the bonus. I, I'm, yeah. I'm sure Raymer wanted the, the damage bonus, right? So he's like, how do I get this? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where I was going with that question unless it somehow tied back to leaky generalization. Well, this is kind of how I feel about TERFs when they're like, what if trans women are actually are just going through years of horrible dysphoria and depression? They're, you know, committing suicide at these higher rates, going on hormones, getting surgical changes and getting their, their name and their birth certificate just so they can go in women's bathrooms and peep on them. I'm like, there's easier ways to do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I've done it. You can just walk into a woman's bathroom. Yeah, yeah I've done that. Uh, not frequently, but no, you no. know, it's happened it, once or twice. Yeah, yeah. occasionally, you, nature calls and it won't take no for an answer, right? So you're like, I'm I not. I just I, desegregate I, bathrooms because, like, like it's just such a niche. Like, okay, there, there's like creepy men that want to, you know, spy on women or be creepy to them, and they'll they're everywhere and they're doing it all over the place. There's like for no reason to specially privilege bathrooms. Just let like people. There, there's tons of like single gender bathrooms that that everything is generally fine in. Also, like, the whole, like, trans woman or, like, someone who's, you know, cross-dressing going to, like, peep on women is, like, I think doesn't really happen. Or it's probably happened rarely because every terrible everything thing you will can happen think once. Yeah. that someone might do, like, will happen. But it's just not an issue. And it, it's so weird when people make that. They're, like, like J.K. Rowling cough, like, their primary issue. And, like, there's so many real issues you could be worried about instead. I wonder, like, so... Also, I've worked at like a couple, like a couple of small restaurants, and they have a couple of bathrooms. And I think they were labeled gender neutral, but because they only had one room for one occupant, at it's a time, actually illegal in Denver to have a single occupant bathroom that is gender segregated. Now, really, this this was ten years ago, and this was in some Fort people Collins, aren't following but... it though. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the reasoning for that could be. Maybe why would you gender segregate something that only has one <laughs> toilet in it? Maybe one because has propriety. A, I mean, it might have a urinal and a toilet. You know. Uh, but if it doesn't, yeah, I don't know. I'm not a not a Cause people are like owner. they have cooties about gender. I mean, but, there were building codes that were that specified you had to have uh, separate facilities, but it, I don't know if they applied to just single single toilet single toilet uh, bathrooms. bathrooms. Maybe they might have. I have don't know. to be have to be gender neutral. Well, yeah, I think that that's why I brought that up because I think it's 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 a no brainer if you've got a, if it's a single occupant bathroom, then right. it's like who cares who's in there, right? Just you know, so many people. Well, then they shouldn't. But like, <laughs> I know they're done. You know, as long as you're you know putting your waste in the toilet, who cares? Like, um, but if it does, you know, occup- if you can pit, fit more people in there, then I think that there's a there's a really funny comedian I saw 
and I forget her name. I YouTube recommends YouTube comedians to me all the time, so I see several new ones a day. YouTube algorithm's dangerous. Hmm. Yeah, I don't spend too much time on it, so I'm not too worried about it. But the uh, the comedian all algorithms. The, the comedian looked uh, looked like a young boy, but it was in fact a, a woman who identified as a woman, and she just she's like I'm not, her her joke, not mine. She says I'm not I'm not a guy. I'm just a, I'm just a lesbian, um, <laughs> and uh, she had said that. She she wouldn't care which bathroom she went into because like if she goes into a girl's bathroom like she sometimes get you know eyebrows raised from other women or whatever mm-hmm. and she's like I would just use the boys' room but I don't want people to think I'm taking a shit every time like <laughs> <laughs> that's a legit concern that I've heard other trans guys bring up they're like if I go in the stall then people are gonna like just hear peeing and then they're gonna be I'm like nobody I, nobody has ever cared I <laughs> always go in the stalls unless like I really have to pee and Apparently, only urinals are available there's a lot of cis guys who just don't want to pee in public and use the stall to pee and like it's fine and nobody is except for maybe jk rowling it like in the bathroom with the cup to where you're listening to make sure that there's pooping sounds going on <laughs> that's insane i uh, think people are you know, I, I think i've you know as somebody who also uses a stall when, when when available and hasn't you know i've worked from home for so many years it's occurring to me more and more lately that like that might be actually having an effect on me um <laughs> but uh what was I, where was I going with this? Um, oh, yeah, just, you know, a general question about, I wonder why there's, like, this anxiety about using the bathroom in front of other people. And I've got to think it's just, like, a vulnerability moment. Mm-hmm. Like, for 45 seconds, you know, I'm vulnerable to attack. Is that part of it, you think? I think for... it's the same reason we have hang-ups about nudity, because, like, people are in denial about the fact that we have bodies and, like, unflattering bodily functions. I don't mind nudity. Nudity, been in... sex, using the toilet. Like, I, I I've think that like we'd in... be way better as a society if we could just chill the fuck out about all that. Yeah, I, I agree. I've been in, in, you know, quite a few public nudity situations, and I don't mind. I just, I don't like peeing right next to someone. It's just a very uncomfortable, awkward... <laughs> yeah, it's something weird. Yeah. It's like it's... societally that way. Uh, yeah, I, I would I say, like... Maybe it's, it's only awkward because society always has said it's awkward and you should feel awkward. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I guess I was looking for a deeper reason because it seems like so common. Well, it's like... I, I mean, what I are think... you supposed to do? Like, you turn to the guy and you're like, ah, nice penis. I see it's also urinating. Yeah, like, great. you just stand there in silence and look straight ahead or I don't know. That That's the weird part that they... You're not supposed to even acknowledge that you're peeing or something? Well, what about when you go in an elevator and that's also really awkward because you don't, like, know if you should talk to the person or... But, but, I, you're, but you're not holding your dick in the elevator. Well, you shouldn't be But I mean, I'm saying elevator. that it, it's the same, like, <laughs> level of awkwardness sometimes. Minus the dick holding. <laughs> I mean, like, I think the, the, the paramount example is like, all right, so you've got three stalls or three um, urinals. You're at the, the right. You never pick the middle one if you go right, in right. and they're all available. This is the same thing that people move. do when they're seating. Like, though, if you're going in the movie theater, everyone will sit one seat apart from each other or they'll sit maximally apart from each other until they're forced to sit next to each other by, like, the seats. And the, But the person who comes in. So, yeah, you've got the third row of the, at the theater all to yourself because you're going to a 2 p.m. matinee. And somebody comes in. There's no one else in the theater, and they sit right next to you. Right. Who's this psychopath? And you consider that yeah. to be antisocial. I, yeah, I consider that to be outright hostile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Similarly, just... if, I'm, if I'm using a urinal and I'm at the rightmost one, and the leftmost one is available, but someone comes and uses the one next to me, uh, that feels like a, like an attack. <laughs> I mean, this strikes me as like the same reason that people don't like women breastfeeding in public, because breasts. Hmm. I, and that's, I, I, you know, we're I've great. never understood why people had a problem with that, but I don't know. Because breasts are for sex, right? Not I, for feeding babies. <laughs> I mean, they're for both. I, I, like, uh, nudity, propriety. Uh. I think that it is probably the like propriety thing where I I, I think it's distinct because I don't think it's a fear reaction because that's that's what would keep me from peeing. You know, in 
like the high school bathroom during like the four minutes between classes you have to rush to the bathroom with all the hundred hundred other kids mm-hmm. um you know so i think that the i think the breastfeeding thing was more like you know uh tits are erogenous and that's you know that's private yeah like, I, ew, that's I, I don't think it's a good reason i'm just trying to invent it you know, or trying to to picture where it's coming from where i'd draw a line if i was like reinventing society is people just like shitting or peeing it everywhere like right i don't care about seeing or, or like hearing other people like but they should be putting it in a receptacle because it's a biohazard yeah. like the thing with like people being like ew that's gross if someone's breastfeeding i'm like uh that's not a biohazard yeah i disagree with that i think that just comes from uh misaligned yuck reaction or yeah yuck training right disgust reaction yeah uh, as someone who had like or who still has seasonal allergies but goes out a lot less than i used to um how do you feel about people like spitting on the ground outside sometimes i can hate it biohazard hmm, okay so, human mouths are disgusting i mean sure but like i'm getting all snotty and shit and it's and it's clogging up my breathing passages and i gotta get it out these tissues i, I don't think have that outside. mouths carry are tissues. that much dirtier <laughs> i can't carry tissues it's not physically possible i carry tissues everywhere they right. have these like portable you tissues that are fit in your a pocket. superhuman with strange technology and carries a backpack but here's the thing if spitting on the ground outside is gross you know i gotta think that a baby breastfeeding their spit that's going to make it to the ground to the bench that maybe that she's sitting on unlikely you're probably sitting and you probably have like babies are gross i think think that if saliva shouldn't if you're not supposed to spit outside you shouldn't be allowed to bring your babies outside either babies put their hands in their mouths and they get spit everywhere i mean that's actually probably sort of a good analogy like (laughs) i was hoping i could beat you on the absurd but for that matter you shouldn't bring your dogs outside they literally crap out there (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I love Denver, and I love that Denver is such a dog-loving city, but also I despise the fact that there's so many people that would just let their dog shit everywhere. I can't... I like to walk barefoot, and... Mm, That's a bad idea. just walking, like, in public places in general, I have to always be looking down to make sure I'm not about to step in dog shit. I mean... Clean up your dog shit, Even if people clean up the dog shit, you know there's been dog shit somewhere on that ground in the past two weeks. I don't care if it's been there, I want them to clean it up. But, you you know, if it's it's a wet shit, you can't get it all right. They can just Mm -hmm. make a... They can make a good effort. But it biodegrades, and, like, sun, you know... Yeah. Especially the sun here, because it's a fucking laser will, like... Well, you know, soil is all decomposed like dead shit and and spit biodegrades a lot faster than shit does i just you don't know? like when people do it around me the same reason i don't like when people cough or sneeze without like covering their mouth because particulates mm-hmm. get around and cover your mouth for the love of god with your elbow i've seen people right. still uh, cough like sneeze right into their hands and then like open the and door. then like just hey friend i don't know <laughs> I, I might have been at the grocery store in the last few months or something someone I, I don't know where I would have seen a human, but someone pulled down their mask. <laughs> someone pulled down their mask to sneeze into their hands and pull their mask back up. <laughs> nice. And I just, I was like, is this a fucking TV show? That was insane. <sighs> um, yeah. Although, I, to be fair, being stuck in a mask with mucus all over the inside of it has got to be unpleasant. It sucks, but that's, the, that's why you that's why a tissue. That's why you use a mask. <laughs> that's why you have a spare mask to switch out the mask right away. Yeah. Or, you know, you just uh, bear with it until you get out of the store. That said, I think the punishment for, for leaving dog shit out should be... That dog shit goes into your house. <laughs> yes. If Agreed. it's discovered, we get to throw it through your open window. You and you're not allowed to close the, the window. face in it and go, bad. <laughs> <laughs> bad dog owner. That I, might actually be over the top. I think I could actually stand by my actual proposed solution. Now, you open your door. We take, the, we take like a, you know, a pooper scooper and just like fling it into the open door. That's the punishment. That'll teach them to pick it up real fast. And it's not like, you know, torturous assault like it would be if you shoved their face in it. Yeah. It's like, no, now you got to clean it out of your carpet. I will say the thing that most makes me hate urinals is the fact that there's like never any toilet paper near them. 
I do not want to have damp underwear. And you just, you can't dab if there's no toilet paper by you. I've been wondering about that. Fun fact, yeah, no matter shanking, you mm-hmm. know, gets, gets the last drop out. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. why I like, I'm, if I really, really have to go, I'll use a urinal. But then I'm like, well, I'm going to be kind of uncomfortable and feel gross for a while. Because lots of people seem to just not care. I guess you could carry tissues with you. <laughs> <laughs> we covered this. It's not physically possible. <laughs> I think this was our most fun, less wrong sequence post. Uh, I'm glad um, we brought it to just a portion place ever. at the end because we were getting a little dark with the first one. Yeah, that no, was great. All right, so next time our two less wrong sequence posts will be the hidden complexity of wishes, a classic, uh, which also is an audio format, so you can listen to it. We'll link it. And lost purposes. When you say an audio format, you mean an Inyash audio format? Well, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You All of them are. A it. lot of them are in some sort of audio form. <laughs> you don't have to be humble, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, all right. Inyash did this one. <laughs> if you'd like to hear my sonorous voice, what was the word? Shoot, it was in uh, last week or this week's. Um, it was the description, I think, of the martial arts instructor at the sound, the Athenaeum of Silence and Sound, or whatever. Mm-hmm. His voice was described. It was like some fun word, and it meant like beautiful sonorous voice. I'm gonna find it really quick. I don't remember. I'm on it. In the meantime, uh, was there someone he specifically wanted to call out the next patron? Because otherwise, I think it's my... Uh, I think you can go for it, but I also think Stephen was like, oh, I got dibs for some reason. Yeah. For oh, yeah. Some, for some reason. I, I remember who it is now. I think we all get a shout out for... Uh, I mean, you know, we don't, we, don't, we don't prefer this patron over any other patron. <laughs> I, I mean that. It just happens to be that we all know Gorky Rojas, and he's a fucking badass, and we appreciate it. And I'm glad we get to read your name on the on the show. Gorky, thank you. You've been a staple of the Discord for a long time. We all think you're great. And also, we will uh, pimp your podcast real quick. Yeah, Gorky, I've been enjoying the heck out of your podcast, just FYI. That podcast is Shaping Exercises 101, where they cover, um, unfortunately... Mother the, of Learning. Yeah, Mother of Learning, but I was going to name the author, and it's like Nobody 104 or something. <laughs> okay. So, nobody wrote this book, but it's called Mother of Learning, <laughs> and uh, it's it's a fun show. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that was fun. Thank you, Gorky. Uh, thank you also for supporting us. We really appreciate it. And I guess that's it for this month. Our next episode would be recorded the day after Christmas. And since we are good Christian rationalists in this house, we will be taking it off to, uh, to not. We're taking it off to not do the podcast. (laughs) Exactly. That's that's, that's what I was going to say, but I was like, "Eh, that doesn't, yeah, that's what we're doing. I can't find the word. Okay. All right. All right. Goodbye, everybody. (laughs) Goodbye.